Hey, Internet, good morning. It is May Day 2025, I think. You count how you will in either case. May 1st, for sure. The world of crazy, definitely here, but Christianity coming your way to keep you awake in the midst of these gray and latter days. He is risen. You are paid for. He will not be long now. You're immortal, and the water that seals us, the food that feeds us, that's what it means to be his gathered, his people, his body, the church. Uh, Yeah, I... I don't even know where to go this morning. I uh, I have given myself over to believing that Saturday morning should be chill, even though I do the Saturday morning chill at nine precisely. Look at that. We did it this week. We did it this week. Um, but that, you know, that means that maybe I don't get up at four and plan the show, right? Uh, so instead, I have a pile of notes here. I have some great questions from you. So it's going to be Biblical questions, biblical answers, some of my nonsense along the way. The first thing that shows up in my page today is breaking the game. Breaking the game. This is out of my conversations with Dr. Kuntz on the podcast, A Brief History of Power, Two White Guys. If you aren't listening to that, then, well, you don't, it, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it, it probably is the most important, like, long game thinking thing you could be listening to as a Christian right now. Uh, Dr. Kuntz with a plethora and then some of factual historical information to help us understand the context of where we are and then realize that maybe the thing best to do is the Christian church isn't what the great sea of, of Philistines is doing, <laughs> uh, but something else. And, and so out of that idea, breaking the game, breaking the game, uh, realizing that much of what America is, is a casino, a sales pitch. A Disneyland, yeah, it'll be this way forever, we swear, just give us your credit card number and personal information and go into debt forever, including with your kids. Break that game. Don't play that game. Why be in that game? Why believe that life is about your equity in this present world? Why believe that? Why, Why wake up in the morning thinking that what's in your bank account in some way matters? Why believe that at all? When what's in your bank account is a story told by the U.S. government about a green piece of paper that for some reason, is worth more than lots of other pieces of paper. And if you study monetary theory at all, you'll find out it's just because we believe it. Like, the only reason it is worth anything is because we believe it. And the moment that everyone figures out it's not worth everything, anything is the moment it all falls apart. Now, why do people still believe it's worth stuff? There's some gold backing it, maybe, they tell us. They tell us. You don't get to see it, right? And then (laughs) uh, there's some gold backing it, maybe. And then there's the, the, the sword. There's the sword. It's the we say so and we won't let you do otherwise. So the greenback, the dollar... Uh, continues to be a game that you must play with. But do you need to believe in it? That's my question. Do you need to put your hope in it? Do you need to wake up in the day and say, my life is built upon the value of the U.S. dollar? Let me suggest there's a lot of that going on in the name of Jesus these days, both in personal lives and in the churches around us. It is one of the more bedeviling assumptions of modernism. Left turn? Yeah. Is it more bedeviling assumptions of modernism that in chronological order means more true? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I mean, somehow, because we can put things in chronological order and figure out the order of events of history, we therefore now mean that think that that makes it more true. So, say when when Mark, well, not Mark, Mark's like when John the ba- when John the Gospel writer puts the uh, the cleansing of the temple early in Jesus' ministry, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke put it late in Jesus' ministry. Like along comes the modern world. It's like that's out of order, therefore it's not true. And while there is an arena in which that's kind of a true fact, it is the arena of putting things in chronological, chronological order, evidently John didn't care. 
<laughs> like really clearly didn't care about chronological order. Didn't matter to him. And he wrote it anyway. Right. So, so like there's this assumption in our heads about truth based upon the clock, which the modern world um, is, is insisting, insisting you live by that. I'm suggesting uh, the word of God tells you uh, you're free from uh, break that game, break that game. Uh, the religion of the Bible is the religion of the inadequacy of knowledge. How's that one? Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Modernism is a worship of knowledge. The religion of the Bible is a religion of the inadequacy of knowledge. Like, that's the thing we say. We know, we do not know. We know, we shall not know. We know, we cannot know enough because God is omniscient. He knows all and we are his creatures, right? So we are, we are the first and foremost to say that knowledge is insufficient. Knowledge is sufficient, except for and insofar as the eternal word that is the Logos is a meaning. He, three in one, has meaning, right? If you want to debate the mystery, right? Uh, But so far as our experience of it goes, one of the primary factors of the Christian faith is being able to say, I don't understand that and it's okay. Like I said, this is one of the major things that comes out of being a Christian. You can get this from other religions too. But in Christianity, it's like, it's even more so. It's even more so. Like to the level where, oh yeah, they're crucifying me, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> you know, Father, forgive me. They don't even know it. They, they don't realize what they're doing. And in fact, I have the superpower to endure it and then rise from the dead on the other side of it. And so like, it'll actually save them, all that. That's Jesus, right? But then his apostles, they managed to die like this too. I'm, I'm just completely stunned. We've been looking at the, at the apostles uh, and the lives of the martyrs a little bit at St. Paul this year uh, through the one-year lectionary minor observances. And so this week is Philip and and, uh, and James, James' brother of John, kind of unknown, unsung guys, although they have quite a bit in the Bible about them. But, you know, guys who died martyrs' deaths, guys who were massively and brutally and cruelly killed simply for saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is risen from the dead. Uh, that is the religion of the inadequacy of knowledge. <laughs> they, that is the religion that said, you know what? My life right now ain't worth holding on to as much as everyone else thinks it is. My life right now is not the stellar gem that they're painting on TV that it could be. And I, I keep trying to, but it's, it's not. And, I never, and I'm so disappointed. Maybe, maybe, maybe a religion which says knowledge is broken in your face, your head. Uh, God? No. You? Yes. Knowledge is broken. Reason is insufficient. Maybe that helps make sense of why everyone's so crazy. <laughs> As Christianity has answers to so many things, chronic are the strategies of the time ghost. Ooh, is an old card. Chronic are the strategies of the time ghost. The time ghost. The zeitgeist. The spirit that the unbelieving Germans say is behind the age, right? There's no, no real spirit, just sort of the wind of history and all. It couldn't actually be the devil. But anyway, the time ghost. Chronic are his strategies. The devil's not creative. The devil's not creative. I once heard someone say, creative is sin. Sin's not creative. Sin is not creative. Sin is decreative. Sin is uncreating. Sin de-undoes. I don't know how to say it. You know, it's, it's not creative. <laughs> uh, God is creative. God makes things. He is a positive sum God. Sin is a negative sum. It ain't even zero sum. It's a negative sum reality. It subtracts from the reality. Chronically does this happen. That is, the, the time goes Satan. His plans, they're not creative. He really doesn't have a new game. He really doesn't have a way to kind of actually trick you if you know what he's doing, right? So one of the things to know that he's doing is he's trying to convince you that knowing stuff is the answer to everything. (laughs) And as soon as you can admit, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ, 
knowing stuff is the answer to everything, right? It shifts the game plan. It breaks the game that he's on. And his strategies become revealed as, as quite paltry because all of them insist on the ultimate value of the present moment. Like the present moment, the present age is a thing that must exist forever for you to be happy because in the moment right now, that's keep it, grab it, hold it, right? God didn't make anything to work that way. Like paradise never worked that way. Paradise was like, here's today, here's tomorrow, here's this, here's that. Give, 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 receive, receive, receive. It's all perfect, but nothing's stagnant, nothing's static. Life grows and it moves and who knows how the seeds worked and the flowers. I mean, I don't know before, before the fall, certainly the thorns and death changed the way things happen. But life, as God designed it to be, runs from receiving change as God gives it in the belief that it's always good, even if it doesn't always feel good. And this is doubly amplified into redemption through the preaching of Christ crucified, right? For for the fact that Jesus endured this as God for us, with us, to be us now, so that we might look at the strategies of the time goes to get us to put our, sink down our treasures in the present age and say, look at that fool. He wants me to play Candyland for two hours and call it life. What an idiot. Uh, look, there, there's a much bigger game afoot here. It's eternal. It goes forever. So you can sit back, oh, it's so hard. Well, there's a point where I get that too. I mean, the, the, the strategies currently of drugging us into unbelief is, are, are quite powerful, but that still said, like, like, there is a point where it is stand up, you pull up your britches, and remember that the place is going to burn. The place is going to burn. All of it. And so what of it? What of it? Think, uh, Jesus, come soon. <laughs> you, know, you know, put an end to this thing. Oh, but you just got all your favorite stuff in line? I, I get it. There's nice stuff here. It's mental. It's a mental trick. It's how you look on it. Tro- chronic are his strategies. They don't change. Devil plays the same game over and over. Uh, in the meantime, therapy is a delaying action, not a recipe for peace. That's an interesting thought. Therapy. We've got some questions about that coming this way, and I'm using the word therapy negatively there. You know, mono, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, the religion of the age. You know, there's probably a God, and he just wants us to be good in the way we think so, as long as we feel good about it. So therapy as a word, uh, you know, can kind of just mean to feel better. Uh, there's also the idea that therapy should be a way to heal, that there's, there is a healing that can take place in life, whether it's the the healing of your muscle through therapy or the healing of your heart through therapy, right? Um, so, you know, I wasn't trying necessarily to, to reject therapy all the way around. However, a, a therapeutic culture, we live in a culture that worships feeling better. We worship the idea of feeling better. It's what we live for. It's what we do every moment. And we have the power of the gods to do so. Unlike any people in any age before, except maybe before the flood. So that's all, that's all pretty intense, right? To look at it that way. And so then realize that that therapy, that, that bringing of a better feeling right now, temporally, is still the devil's plan. That's what he wants you to put your heart in. And it's just a delaying action for hell. <laughs> it's just, hold tight, guys. It feels good. It feels good. I promise it'll feel better. It feels good. Oh, burn. Right? It's not a recipe for peace to heal in the present age. Not entirely, not entirely, certainly not generationally. It must be passed down in that rain shower. It will flow. Uh, put your body where your faith is. That came out of a conversation about whether you should kneel uh, or whether you should, uh, I don't know, um, reverence during the Gloria, things like that. There's, there are wide and varied traditions within Christianity about how to show your piety. But uh, my suggestion is that the last hundred years, our bodies have been removed from worship without anybody really noticing because it kind of happened really slow. And those cushions that feel good on the pew, I mean, I don't want to take them out necessarily, but just just thinking of your religion is me on a cushion, right? 
like, why don't you put your body where your faith is here on this, a poor, miserable sinner? What would that like look like, right? What would that feel? Can you imagine it? Can you try to imagine it? Like present some sort of symbolism about it around the way you do things? Yeah. Um, and, and kneeling, bowing, reverencing, all those kinds of things, you know, a worship which entails the fear of God as, as Hebrews 12. We'll talk about it. I think we're coming back to that uh, later today. Um, maybe. Uh, so anyway, anyway, uh, put your body where your faith is. It means you got to pray with your mouth too. I and mean, we've talked about prayer quite a bit. There's a question coming about uh, about that again too today. Um, to pray with your mind is fine. I don't think it's Jesus judges the heart, right? But there's something about praying with your mouth. And the thing that really got me thinking twice about this one is going to sound like crazy, but it's true. Angels, <laughs> angels. I realize the angels can't hear my heart. They can't hear my head. Like, I don't think, I'm pretty sure angels are not omniscient. They don't read, read thoughts, right? The devil can't read your thoughts. Your flesh is on his side, which is kind of unfair to you, but it's your own fault too. So anyway, angels, Gabriel shows up. He's not reading Mary's mind and knowing all things at all times. That, that's what God does. The angel just kind of does whatever the angel is able to do. So, <laughs> to, uh, to realize then that the angels are not inside of you, uh, but outside of you means that if you want them to hear you pray or know that you're praying, right, you you need to demonstrate that in some way. Now, again, I, I don't know much about angels. We're not told a lot, but I'm pretty sure they're in creation, pretty sure they're around us as an unseen way. I think that's pretty clear uh, that they manage creation for the salvation of mankind, but also in that, that they, the, the rain falls upon the evil and the just and the angels are behind all this stuff, right? They, they make the world run. They're, they're behind they're the unseen edge of the first article. They're everyone's trying to study with physics. And they're like, I don't, we don't believe in angels, but we're going to study what we can't see anyway. And it, it keeps dodging us and we don't understand, but it's just science. String theory. That's the answer. Yeah. No, I mean, it's anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. for the sake of the angels praying out loud, um, makes a lot of sense actually. Uh, that they would rejoice. I mean, I, do you need the angels in your prayers for God to hear them? No, but they're like they're like part of the team, right? So, right? So, <laughs> so like, why wouldn't you want them to like sing with you with angels and archangels, all the company of heaven, lauding and magnifying God's glorious name right there in your living room? I mean, whoever's around, you got at least one with you. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. Like, their angels see the face of the Father. You got at least one with you as a Christian, baptized Christian. You have an angel around you who, in some way, God charges to preserve you. We don't know much about this, but we know that it's there, and you can make a whole mythology out of it and really go off the rails with it. But what I think you should do with it instead is realize that that angel likes the Word of God. Really. He likes the Word of God. He likes the Word of God. A lot. And so, he loves it when you pray. He adores it. When you when you read a psalm out loud, he goes, oh, this one is like those who were of old. Hmm. And it's strange. No, I mean, they, they, they rejoice in this. How much have we lost a trust or a hope or a fraternity with the unseen in our oh, skeptical age? Skeptical age. You can either walk in self-control or walk in the control of others. You can either believe that every moment is a blessing or that only some are. Ooh, ooh, that's worth thinking about. This is from Kuntz again. Human groups, this is his hypothesis. Human groups do not function by ideology. Right, so ideas don't drive groups. You're listening to the show because you think you're listening to the show, but instead you're being part of a tribe that's all about like social signals and stuff. Now, I think I'm overplaying his hypothesis. He probably wouldn't say it quite like that. But the, the idea is that on a, like a macro scale, if we're talking uh, societal things, congregation, city, state, that it's not really about what the guy says logically because the crowd not only 
doesn't think and can't think, but kind of has a way of unthinking. Like humans are stupider in groups, large groups. We really are. Uh, and I mean, because just whoever's loudest, we just are like, yeah, that guy said it. It must be true. And we just start, we start following noise. So as a result, to have like a society in a large group that functions by ideology is almost impossible. Instead, what we do, like like many herd animals, is we reflect the alphas and look for those who seem strong enough, right? Who are seem convicted enough that they are going to be right and they're going to be able to endure. And we we align with those. And then reason doesn't not play a part of this. But again, remember, forgive them; they know not what they do. There's so much ignorance going on. Even in us as Christians, in terms of what the real mission of the church is, and I'm not saying like repent of it, just like, no, believe it, be, be glad for this, rejoice that there is so much going on for the sake of the mission of the church, always in Christianity that you don't see or know about and no Christian's really planning on purpose because we're all just that unaware, <laughs> but Jesus ain't, right? Like that's a great thing. That's the, I will build my church gospel. I mean, that's why I wrote broken for pity's sakes, right? Uh, he is going to do this thing. As he does it, so it's not going to be by ideology. If you want to take this and put it straight in, it means not by apologetics. You're not going to argue people into Christianity. But what you might do is lead people into Christianity. There's a huge difference between those two things. To try to talk them into it in the sense of, I will argue you into it with being more right than you, versus talking them into it, meaning walk with you in a direction and continually think and point toward a good direction that would lead you to what you really are searching for, which is the real answer, the truth, right? I mean, that is what the elect are looking for, is the truth. Are there unelect looking for the truth? Well, they say so. Which truth are they looking for? If you find Jesus, you found it. Why aren't you taking Jesus? That's an interesting question, right? But again, our task is not to like beat them into, well, therefore, it's, it's a little more of the, um, uh, look how this walk walks. Uh, and this is where then, you know, Jesus is sufficient deliverances of Christ. Uh, are you saved by grace? Are you saved by works? Why are you arguing about that? Is you're saved by Jesus and he does it by grace and works come out of it. But if you want to argue about it, you're kind of showing maybe a overinterest in the wrong thing at this moment. I'm not saying that there wasn't a time when that was the, that was the fight, man. But like right now, I mean, it is, it's always the fight. The proper distinction between law and gospel is always the fight. Um, but sometimes it's, it has to fight against itself. I mean, right now, I'd say the proper distinction between law and gospel is one of the most obscure and ununderstood, confusing things Lutherans have. And we throw it out there, and it is meaningless most of the time. We never do it. We never do it. So anyway, anyway, we we never. Hyperbole. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's not about publication by copyright. Oh, that's the Isaiah. Publish the good news, but make sure you copyright. Okay, we got your questions and answers coming this way. You know, I also want to say this. I want to say this. Uh, my nonsense. Bible's answers. Um... Thank you for your prayers, all you who have been praying and supporting and all these things. Last night I had a very marvelous uh, dinner guest, and uh, there is some excitement being kind of sprinkled into the realm of mad Christianity, which I look forward to telling you about about later. But it is because of your support. So you who are on board with me on Patreon, help support the show, uh, a couple bucks a month uh, or more to keep things going, keep me encouraged, and actually help us live. Um that has always been, as I've said in other places, geared toward a bigger picture goal. That goal increasingly is becoming for uh, a, a community in Rockford around St. Paul to be a community of fathers who desire to reach the world by means of their prayers and their families. Um, and this can be, again, something that's everywhere and then here in Rockford as well. But the last this weekend, last night, uh, a conversation about some really cool things that will help begin that process uh, in earnest. And so 
Um, I, I don't know what that means yet because I have to figure out what that means. That's the, that's the, the wonderful gift I was just given is a major problem I have to solve or get to solve, get to play with. Um, but your prayers are part of that. And again, your support through Patreon remains part of that, right? So, uh, if you haven't already joined the team and, uh, throw a couple bucks a month at me for this show, for a brief history of power, for mad Christianity, mad Mondays, all that, um, uh, please consider that. You can go to Patreon and search for Red Fisk. Uh, and in other words, meanwhiles, and without more me askings, <laughs> I will be right back in just a moment. All right, we got uh, we got some good stuff from you today, including CPTSD and trauma talk. We'll just start here with that. Uh, Darth makes says this last week. It was a super chat that I didn't pick up in the in the uh, officialdoms. Why is this all off in size? Come on now, picture. Sit where you're supposed to. There we go. So all sin is trauma, he says. We all have it and suffer everyone else's. We pray for the day that's taken from us. I I do I do agree with you. And yet I don't. So I, this is kind of like what I what was the word I just used a moment ago that I, I used it broadly and narrowly kind of at the same time. Uh, I have to look through the notes. Remember, trauma is a word that should be understood as a technical term with a science that at one point was attempting to be trustworthy psychology um, behind the idea, which is that there is a norm. So from like a paradise perspective, you're absolutely right. We all got traumatized, like like so bad the universe is traumatized, and the only way back is to burn it and have a guy come out of the grave with the rest of it in tow, right? So, yes, in that sinful condition world, there is then another normative thing that we would just call normative and not trauma, and then there is a minority, super even, that descend into a new level that we would really call traumatized. Uh, that they have ceased to have certain functioning capabilities that everyone else gets to work with all the time. And that in a group of however many, right, 50, there's one. No, 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 that, that person really is different. And it's it's on the level of a disability. Um, are they a victim? I would say uh, they have been victimized, but they are not a victim. They do have challenges you don't have. They have... Uh, like someone who's born with any other disability, physical, right? Or mental. They have challenges you don't have. That doesn't mean that it doesn't come with benefits you don't have. And so, I mean, this is where for my own journey right now, I mean, the first thing you got to realize if you got CPTSD is that you're not going to get rid of it. (laughs) The sooner you own that, the better you're off, right? Just just own it. It's it's, it's who you are. And uh, for my part, then uh, once that passed, Right, and I still have denial fantasies. I mean, everybody does. Uh, but once once that passed, uh, and I could I could realize that nope, 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 I really don't belong in a crowd. I've always known it, and now I know why. It's because I'm missing like this like one third of my psyche. <laughs> I'll grow it back eventually, but it'll be different than yours because I started at 42 instead of two. Um, and so again, I've said now that that's real. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This this sounds so weird and bad, and it is. It's lonely for sure. But that means that, like, I get to grow up and do it on purpose emotionally with the Bible in front of me open. Two-year-olds don't get that option very often. And so, like, I'm like, whoa, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be traumatized. I have this unique thing that is not just my sin, but it also presents a unique opportunity to live a life of grace very few people get to live, right? And it, is it from sin? Yes. Is it an acute version of sin? Yes. Does everybody share psychologically diagnosable trauma? No. No. Um. You do not live with emotional flashbacks. Uh, yeah, not like this. So um, 
That said, I'm full with you, Darth Mick, because the more that I look at it, the more CPTSD is like how you would, if I had to define it with the word, it's sin. Like what happens to me is the carnal man is, is really like there. (laughs) Now everyone's got that too, right? But like literally there's a function where the chemistry between my right and left hemispheres stops and the left hemisphere, which is like the artsy side, right? Uh, it just goes into shutdown and I have to reboot it like mentally. I have to go in like reboot it. And mindfulness is a big part of this. And we'll talk about that here later on the show. Um, uh, but, but as I'm doing that, I'm having to function with emotions that do not in any way cognizantly, reasonably connect to the entire space that I'm in, no matter what that space is. And if you don't know that, that's really bad. That means you project all sorts of stuff in the room. <laughs> and for my part, most of my life, that's fear. Fear and the need to get away safely as quickly as possible. That's not a fun way to live, and I look forward to trying to change that. Others experience CPTSD differently than through the pure flight mode that I do. Um, but again, uh, that being so different from everyone in the room uh, is an obstacle to human communication. It is an obstacle to human relationship. Very, very big one. Very difficult one. Because you don't relate the way other people relate. And then in a group, that means you tend to be quiet and hide in the back and try to get away, you know, unless you happen to be one of those weird ones that domineers. Um, pretty rare, actually. Uh, anyway, so so again, it, it does does looking at trauma psychologically give you uh, ways in which you go, oh, the Bible just says that about all of this? Yes. But then on the scale of what happens to us, there is a spectrum of our sinful conditions And I would just suggest that those who end up in a situation like mine are less like the mass murderers who are doing it on purpose, right? Like there's, there's a a spectrum there, uh, where my sin is incredibly acute. Like I, in fact, indeed, let's look at it. Let's look at my colonel man. Let's see if we can trigger him to come out, you know, and I'll show you what it feels like, (laughs) you know, uh, I think that's maybe a different thing than the high handed. I hate Jesus. I don't care what he says. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm gonna turn my child into an eight year old boy girl. Right. Um, all sin is trauma. Uh, yes, no. Right. And, and let's, let's leave trauma on this show for uh, those who can actually amend and, and fix some of the problem. Um, and that's where it's not really sin, this program or habit of, of uh, mindset and emotion that I grew or had arrested in its development uh, by my family life. Um, uh, I uh, Letting that exist as a unique thing that can be cured as opposed to just the general blanket sin that we all carry. Um, I think it's very important for, for day-to-day living. Does that mean then again that, you know, am I, am I exonerating anyone who has CPTSD from behavior? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. For goodness sakes. Uh, it, everyone has to pick up their cross. And I get, like I said, the moment you figure out you got CPTSD, your life just got better. Like immediately got better. You may not know it yet, but it did. Because knowing you have it means you can see that fleshly mouth start to talk and you shut it up. And you start thinking, well, what is that? And eventually you'll figure it out. It's your anger at your family. And eventually you can forgive them. I mean, really, for real. You say, oh, I love my family anyway. I always forgive them. Okay, but you can't forgive someone that you don't say that thing they did is hurtful to me and evil. You can't, you can't forgive a good thing. Good things don't get forgiven. So, so coming to terms with the source of your trauma, uh, psychologically for real diagnosable, uh, and, and then learning to understand that does allow for a certain growth that is really just not what Christianity comes on and gives. Christianity comes on and gives all sorts of things to support this. In fact, I would say to try to live through this without Christianity would be like, golly, despairing. But, but uh, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. 
Although there's definitely an overlap, there's an echo. The whole world's fractal, I think. <laughs> uh, the universe is fractal. Uh, the way theology works, even, is, is fractal. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the question or comment. Thanks for the super chat. That's what that one was. All right, Andrew, let's leave Hebrews for a little bit later. Andrew has a Hebrews question we will come back to in a little bit. But since we're on the trauma talk early, let's dig into tresses here. Excuse me. She says this. Hi, Pastor Fisk. Uh, hold on. Before we go to Tressa, I'm taking my... <laughs> One day I'll remember these. Five second. Five second water break is a good thing. Tressa says this. Hi, Pastor Fisk. You can imagine the pain, confusion, failure, searching, etc. A 59-year-old, twice-divorced woman has experienced before finally, like you, self-diagnosing with CPTSD. I'll skip the long story and just ask the questions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, twice divorced, 59 years old, survivor of CPTSD, survivor. Uh, people like us die young. <laughs> uh, and there's a reason. Being lonely is lonely. <laughs> and it, your tendency to uh, need the loneliness as part of the mechanism for survival that was forced upon you in youth, uh, which leads to your inability to maintain relationships and, in fact, then destroy them, uh, often preemptively and as part of the cycle, um, that is not something uh, that I want to go over lightly and say, well, thank you for, for confessing this, admitting this, right? And many people would call this a moral failing. You're a morally bad person. Well, sometimes, probably, but you're also traumatized. There's something far more going on here, which makes it take a very special individual to remain married to you. I'll just say it right off the bat here. I mean, I'm amazed my woman's with me and, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm amazed that she still wants to be with me, but without her, I don't know how I'd do it. And this is like, you know, I'm a pastor here, right? So like, how bad was it? Like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It was just confusing. It was really confusing because it's like having two different emotional people around and you never know which one you're going to get. Now, depending on your situation and what's around you and what your personal salvation narrative is, and mine was to be a pastor. So it was perfecting the pastoral life, which usually meant not sinning at home, right? And at least not officially, not trying to, um, you know, that was one way. How yours ended up though, I mean, I was, am, did hurt relationships in my family that I want to spend the rest of my life amending. I got a 16-year-old I barely know. I mean, I do. I know her, but not the way I want to. Not the way I ought to. Not the way I, if I knew humans could do this, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. And again, CPTSD opens up a whole level of learning for you as an emotional person that as soon as you grab it, will begin to improve your life. It didn't improve your life to have CPTSD. It really, really is awful. But the moment you can begin understanding it, it will begin to improve your life. Will you still have dark moments that swing as deep as that? Yes. Yes, they certainly will. But in the brighter moments, you'll know why. And in the darker moments, you'll have tools for saying, oh, I remember this. I know why he's doing this. I understand this now. It will pass. It will pass. Okay. So with that said, Tressa, here's your questions. Uh, Should a Christian do even basic transcendental meditation? As in sitting down for 20 minutes, closing my eyes, saying a word. Uh, You chose rest. It does not seem dangerous because I can barely focus on the word without my mind wandering. I don't think I'm at risk of transcending or reaching a higher consciousness or whatever they call it, right? Right. So like, like, like the danger of it is that you'd invoke a demon. I mean, that is the danger of it. You should kind of be aware of that. You might have a demon show up and say, hey, you want some help? And you don't want that. I've heard those stories. I've heard those stories from atheists, right? Who say, well, I, you know, I, I reached a, an antibody experience and talked to stuff. And I don't believe in it. I don't know how Sam Harris handles that, but he, he handles that. Okay. So <clears throat> certainly when you, the, the human mind has the capacity to transcend spiritual spheres that we as moderns just don't believe are possible. Now, does that mean Christians shouldn't pray like that? That's interesting, like very modern, very, it's only intellect and only apologetics approach to the faith. 
However, I'm going to say right off the bat, yeah, transcendental meditation, wrong answer. <laughs> wrong answer. <clears throat> um, TM is a religion uh, in its own right. It is a secret cultic thing. And although you can choose your word rest if you like, that's not how transcendental meditation works. You are given a secret word you share with nobody else ever, and they won't tell you why or what those words are. You're just not allowed, and it doesn't work if you don't. And that sounds dangerous to me. Yeah? Very evil. So... Let's let's avoid TM talk. I will not advocate anyone use transcendental meditation. However, I will say that the concept of sober mindfulness, mindfulness, is in the Bible. To be sober-minded is exhorted of us in the Bible. And there are those who practice this mindfulness thing. There are tools in it, pieces of it, that certainly are just about pursuing a sober mind, pursuing clarity of thought. Now, I don't think repeating a word over and over again until you don't know what it means anymore is the pursuit of clarity of thought. That sounds like the pursuit of disclarity to me. Mindfulness, so far as I learned it, and this was you know from pagans, uh, it, it is about letting the discord pass so that by returning to what is always present, which is you, uh, your breath, you finally have a rising out of you an understanding of what you really think. Now that can be completely wrong. Like you might be like, I have just realized I am the Antichrist and should take over the world. Well, okay, so mindfulness didn't help you from our perspective at this point, right? But that's not mindfulness's fault. That's still your fault, right? So, so mindfulness, sober mindfulness, the practice of uh, seeking to return to your breathing as a clock that is always with you because God gave it to you as a way of refreshing the spirit and taking a few more moments to consider and ponder. Well, that's the kind of thing that's going to really help you with CPTSD. And then I would suggest that not only does that silent pondering have significant value, that five or 10 minutes a day can really, really just sort of pace you, but that there is there is all manner of reason to build around the moment to stop and breathe. Also, the opening up of your scriptures to have a psalm or the Proverbs or an epistle, I don't know. Uh, to have a psalm just kind of come out of your mouth. And I would say that that kind of intentional meditation building, mind control building, self-control building, uh, you you must uh, adopt if you really want to improve uh, your behaviors. Because again, the key to CPDCD is catching the flare, uh, the flashback as soon as it happens, and then using your toolbox to like unpack that emotion and say, yep, there's nothing to do with this. And it goes over there. We're done. Yeah, but you, you have to build that toolbox and that requires a awareness of the present that's bigger than everything else is going around and mindfulness trains you in that. I do not think transcendental meditation trains you in that. It does the opposite. It tries to de defunct your mind and push you into a place of complete nothingness so that the spirits can come and talk to you. Again, like you see like we're on two different poles here. Yeah, um, I'm talking the created order was built with, with, with not just reason, but with intentionality, with design so that fractally it, it moves all things for the good. And so for you as a Christian to take your Lord's admonition to wait for the Lord and maybe just do it for five minutes, like just wait for Jesus to come back for five minutes and breathe while you do. Like what's wrong with, nothing's wrong with that. To go and try to manipulate the spirit realm in order to achieve magical ends for your own transcending unto Godhood. That's bad. That's really bad. So yeah, um, hopefully my answer here now is giving you enough of this. And I, your funny thing, I, you know, you're not a danger of reaching higher consciousness. It's not about reaching a higher consciousness. It's about being aware of what's really going on. 
And that's where if you do sit long enough, three, seven hours, and you're just letting the world be, you might feel more in tune with what you can't see. And is that good or bad? Well, are you good or bad? <laughs> you know, are, you, are you in Jesus or not? Is it Jesus' world or not? Those are more important questions than how long have you sat on a hill thinking about your life? Because, um, you know, all of us could benefit a little bit from just doing that, you know? So your second question, my LCMS pastor doesn't seem to want to understand what I'm dealing with. I, hmm, I always plead grace with your LCMS pastor. Dude's got one of the worst lives ever, probably. We, we have a work environment that I can't even begin to express how poor it is in terms of the expectation level. Now, there's a lot of freedoms we have, which are nice, but effectively, most of us are driven into workaholism. And uh, the American society is part of this. So Lutheranism was unprepared for many of the things that changed us over the last 70 years. And the position that we put these guys into is, is impossible. It's just impossible. These guys, I mean, it's impossible. I can't possibly do what you want me to do as your pastor. It's, it's just impossible. There's, everybody else wants something else. And I'm not ready. I haven't trained for all of it, right? So it's, it's just, it overwhelms you. And so, yeah, so he hears about this and he's like, okay, it's like one other thing. And okay, so everyone's a narcissist these days. I mean, that person, that person, that everyone says it all the time. So like, okay, this person just wants to feel better. Where has he been given the chance to understand you? I'm not saying that's your fault. I'm saying that the world has not presented your LCMS pastor the opportunity to be the person who can hear what you said. <laughs> and and it's not really his fault. I mean, it is. It's all our faults. We can all repent of everything. But really, I mean, the poor guy, he's, he's, he's trying to be all things to all people. And you can't, you can't do that the way we want to do it on the internet. So, um, so just have some grace with him. I, you know, um, he, he, how could he understand it? Many people will not understand it unless they've studied psychology and psychosis at all. You know, they maybe don't want to understand it. It's, it's very common amongst people to assume that everyone's just like you. And so just because you can, therefore they can. And that, that broad bush thinking is, again, a modern world form of categorization. That everything fits in these easy boxes. Um, and it's just, it's just not the case. Uh, so to expect your pastor to have a psychological level of diagnosis to, to be like, oh, I get you. Yeah, full. Um, you can't. What you can do is continue to have the conversation with him and provide resources to him. So, hey, pastor, um, this is the resource. Here's some highlighted pages that you should read about, uh, you know, my condition and why I struggle. And if you would look at this, it would really help me. But also, he's not really there to be your psychologist. You know, I mean, he he could, he should soothe your soul. And it, maybe he's not doing as well as he could if he understood you better. But um, he's not there to be your counselor and your psychologist in the sense of, um, well, yeah, in the sense of what we're talking about. Why? Because the LCMS pastors aren't made to do that. They're made to do a very specific set of tasks within a very specific club system within an ethnic group that doesn't care about its future survival very much. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do still, right? Uh, it's, it's kind of a rough place to be. So asking him to be your counselor is, is unlikely. Um, expecting him to care about you is what you you have the right to do. And so saying, hey, pastor, here's some information on my condition um, so that you know. But then clearly from what the rest of your question is, you know, going to him for counsel just didn't help you. So just don't. You're going there for the Lord's Supper. That's why you're going to that church. I, it would be nice if you were going for the preaching too. I don't know. Some people go to church for preaching. Some people go to church just for the Lord's Supper. And it happens in the LCMS. And there's a reason for that. Uh, so, you know, keep, keep seeing him as the shepherd of the supper as the shepherd of the supper, as the real antidote to your condition, which is the resurrection from the dead, not some getting better now. And then you're going to have to go and seek real counsel 
for now or real psychology. And I, I wish that I had more information to just tell you, go here, go there. I do not have that kind of information. Um, I am content in my world exploring this on my own. Uh, I've had enough experience with Christian counselors and atheist counselors to, to know what the general uh, repertoire is going to be and to know that at this point, what I need is to build trust with other human beings. And so what I'm going to do instead of going to counselors is work on building trust with people. And then when I find it not happening, retreat a little bit and return to my resource, the Peter Walker book, um, to let him kind of counsel me. And okay, okay, I have these emotions and I got to retrofit them. And here we go, right? Um, would a would a face-to-face counselor once a week help with that? Oh yeah, role play? Are you kidding me? How good role play would be right now? It would be so helpful. But to find that trust and that relationship, um, that's hard, right? So trust that you got it. You have to take first steps, uh, look at your health insurance plans, look in the area, um, find someone who knows what CPTSD is and then take those steps and maybe they're not that great and you go find another one. Because what you must do is build trust and you you don't want to, you're not good at it, but you're trying to, right? And you found that this guy was not ready to be the one you trusted. He's not built to be that, right? Um, find where that is. Um, now, when he suggests that you're blaming your parents, okay, so that's just ignorance again. People who don't understand <laughs> shaming syndromes uh, shame the syndrome more, right? They don't. They don't see that like like all, most of what you're looking for is some form of affirmation, uh, some form of like you're okay, yeah. And and instead, you know, it's like it's your fault. Do it differently. Now, here's the fourth commandment: feel good about that. Uh, and uh, you, you have to walk away from that. He's he's completely ignorant. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So you know that's what's going to happen. So one thing I would suggest then is don't try to have this conversation with people who you don't trust. Like, don't randomly pick someone and say, well, that should be an authority figure I trust, therefore. Don't do that. Look for people who make eye contact with you and smile and talk. Now, if you don't have any of those at church, just kind of look around. Look for anyone who smiles. And then when they smile, like, go talk. Say hi. And don't tell them you're at CPTSC. Just say hi. It's nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Jim. See you later. You know, I'm Tressa. Building that relationship in which you are, like, not afraid of that person now. You're willing to go up to them all the time. That practice is is of much more value <clears throat> than, say, getting your pastor to give you the right advice after church every week. Um, uh, it's just not what we're here for. Uh, we're not trained. We can't do it. Um, so while he does his job of pointing you to Jesus and his promises, I mean, that's what he's got to do. Like, that's, that's the main thing there. Um, he gives you little hope of overcoming the pain of this life except in the next. Well, yes, there's that too. I mean, own it. That's Christianity to begin with. So just because your pain is worse than everybody else's doesn't mean like you don't have the same end goal of the resurrection. So, but I will say this, I think you have all sorts of hope for overcoming the pain of CPTSD in the present, not so much leaving it behind, but learning how to, to live with it in a way in which it no longer domineers your soul, no longer destroys your sense of self, but instead becomes a thorn in your flesh that you reckon with from time to time, as opposed to like the the full all the time thing. But that is on the other side of a, a lot of work. And by work, I mean, feeling the pain, finding the real source of those emotions in the flashbacks, naming the flashbacks, practicing the walking out of the flashbacks every time they happen until it becomes a habit. And there's no question that a good counselor who knows what they're doing will make that faster. There's no question. I mean, I know it would be faster for me. I, I'm, I've just entered into the prayer phase of like planning where it's like, okay, I know I need something like that. I'll just pray for it and wait for it to show up. Um, it's been, been kind of fun to live that way, honestly. Uh, so, in fact, going on about the, the pastor still, uh, he has told me to just stop thinking negative thoughts. Uh, see, this is where it's like, don't tell anybody this. Please never tell anybody this. Just stop thinking negative. It's, it, as if we're doing this on purpose. For pity's sakes. I feel hurt. By, yeah, you should. 
you were just told you're doing it on purpose. Like, it's your fault. Well, it's your fault. Fix yourself. Like, anytime a pastor tells you that, goodness. I mean, it's just, it's just not thinking. He's not thinking, okay? He didn't see it. He doesn't understand it. Be glad that he gives you Jesus from the pulpit and the Lord's Supper and understand that he's trying to carry loads you can't even imagine. And that, in fact, his job is creating a form of CPTSD in his life, probably, though not childhood trauma, just dealing with him. He, just, he probably just hates groups of people <laughs> at a certain point. Unless he's really, really lucky. All right, there, I know extroverts who came into the pastoral ministry, extroverts who hate groups of people now. Uh, and it's just because the system is uh, a different topic. I don't want to sit here and complain on Saturday. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. It's going to be 80 degrees and there's a fire hazard in Northern Illinois today. Don't start fires in your backyard. Uh, he's told me to stop thinking negative thoughts. Um, I feel hurt. Yes, you should. And then guilt for having ungrateful thoughts toward him. Uh, just forgive him. Rather than feel guilty for acknowledging that he was a jerk, just then forgive him. Yeah, that's that. I, I feel like failure of the church to help with healing from trauma. Okay, so this is good. Um, what do you mean the church? What do you mean failure of the church? Who's the church? What are they supposed to do? What were you expecting? the sojourn through the wilderness of this temporal dying, burning age to be like? What do you think the church would be? Rome? <laughs> well, actually. And yet look at the failure of the church, right? And and this is exactly the uh, the point of Augsburg 7 and 8 in our confessions. And the, the one body of Christ is evidently a real thing that he's building throughout the world. And you can see it when it gathers and yet when it gathers, there are unbelievers all about it and they take hold of the systems the temporal benefits and they use them for evil and tear the thing down in the name of their own idols putting ball in the face of yahweh at some point or stamp the golden cow with the name yahweh and here we go and so um <laughs> the failure of the church every time you catch yourself, the church ought to the church ought to uh, you're the church how about how about we all just repent how about we stop blaming the church and we just repent together i you know i would like was it a Failure of the church to help with healing from trauma. I would like to help with healing from trauma more in the name of Jesus. I would. And I'll start with mine. I would like to help myself with my trauma in the name of Jesus so that when I come to church, my trauma doesn't get in the way. And instead, I'm there to help, well, the person who's new, who doesn't know, uh, who hasn't had these, these tools and this practice and this goes for both CPTSD and then whatever your shame and sin is that you're dealing with in the world because everyone does have their own something, something awful. Uh, so, mm-mm-mm. so choose to ignore what the world, the critic tells you is the failure of the church and believe instead in the success of the church, meaning not Rome, but Jesus the success of the body of Christ according to his word and his spirit, which throughout history is continuing to come to people like you and me who are in our traumatized conditions in which there is no hope in this life and say there is hope. Jesus is risen from the dead. Oh, and by the way, if you study science, you can figure out how to not be a jerk either too. Also, you can learn, you can learn, you can learn. And that goes for everybody, including those of us who have a natural jerk that just jerk mode, turn on, you know, <laughs> uh, that you didn't even know was there. Uh, but again, uh, the key to it is naming it and then putting it in his box and it stays there. Once you, once you start doing that, it's hard though. Those early muscle training in the head, it's really tough. You're building connections between the hemispheres. You're trying to grow back a, a reboot. Like if when you, when you shut your computer down, it doesn't come up fast. Right. Um, so especially if you haven't done it for a long time, uh, ba 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 ba. I'm off on a tangent. You guys are all probably ready to move on. I feel like the, da, 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 da. is there a way to do both? All right. Let's hold on. Have to choose between Christian way or psychological, secular, pagan ways. Is there a way to do both? You are going to have to live in the world. 
you're going to have to live in the world. You're going to have to talk to people who are in the world. If you want a gutter put on your house, you might have to pay a pagan to put the gutter on your house. If you need someone to talk to you about the diagnosis of your psyche, and there's no Christian that knows how, but an Islam, a Muslim knows how, and he's not going to try to kill you or convert you in that conversation, and you're at least ready to, to leave if he does, what's the difference? Because it's your soul, I get it, I get it. It's your mind, I get it. I mean, are you watching TV? I mean, anybody who's not going to, I don't want to have to do both. I don't want to go to a pagan counselor, but you watch anything that comes through the internet that's not pure Christianity. I mean, what are you doing? You're way more, way more danger flicking through the channels than you are going to talk to a counselor who's not a Christian. You can walk away in one hour and be like, that guy was a jerk. He'd said all sorts of stupid stuff. (laughs) You know, know, you'll you'll understand. But to to go through several of those until you find the one who's like, yeah, I get CPTSD. Let's work on it. And, And I mean, that'll be... It'll be worth it even if they're not a Christian, but stay within the Christian environment knowing that that doesn't save you. So so let's say I managed to fully get control of my CPTSD and it, it, it rejuvenates my life. No longer am I afraid to do all the things I want to do, but I do it with confidence. And look at that. I can actually achieve things. And that's me talking, really. And, and like, so all that happens and then my life is everything it's supposed to be. What happens? Do I forget Jesus? Right? Uh, do, I, do, I forget, do I forget the cross? Do I forget my affliction? And so in that, forget my Lord. So don't hunger too much for the thorn in your flesh to be removed. Remember, it's a gift. It's a gift, right? You can you can either believe that some moments are, are blessings or all moments are blessings. And I believe all moments are blessings, including the ones that don't feel like it. And part of that then is so that I might trust all the more in what's coming. Uh, that trust all the more in what's coming is a better present. It's already a better present. <laughs> so so it, you have nowhere to go but up. You know where to go but up. I mean, we talked about the martyrs already. They were glad to. They were glad to martyr. They were glad to be killed on crosses. Oh, what men. What, what women, too. What women, too. Um, all right. So, Chris uh, has a third question. How can I deal with the guilt of passing down some CPT effects to my kids? Right. Every parent should really be concerned about passing on your um, family systems dynamics to your kids because there's a lot of bad ones out there, all sorts of bad ones out there. And so, how do you deal with that? You deal with that by learning as much as you can about family systems dynamics and, and your own history. The relationships of your grandparents to your parents and your great grandparents to your grandparents, that will tell you a lot, actually. Um, you know, where they live, why they live, who they are, what they do, that will tell you a great deal. But then, I mean, my solution to this is to just be honest with my kids. Like, okay, here's what I have. I'm sorry. Here's what, when it happens. And now, now I don't say I'm sorry because I, that's part of the condition, apologizing for stuff you don't need to apologize for. Uh, so instead, I just, again, um, I get quiet and then I talk, talk to them later about it. And what I found is that children are tremendously resilient. And they love you for some strange reason. They just love you. And, you know, again, this is the condition, not having love, not believing that I am lovable, right? Uh, never having received it or feeling the reception of it. So the, rest, the emotion was arrested. But children are, are marvelous comfort for this, um, especially the youngest ones, uh, because all they have is just unconditional love for you. Um, and then the older children want to have unconditional love for you, but wherever your effects have affected them, they're angry about it, but they probably haven't said so because that's the, that's the condition, right? You got to bury the anger so that you please the parent. And when this is an infancy thing, um, it can be tremendously traumatic. Um, I was not the infant caretaker. It takes two to tango, by the way, on that one too. So if you're going to CPTSD, it takes a, a neglect and a neglect and an abuse or just a neglect by both parents at a certain point. And uh, uh, emotionally. Um, so, you know, you if you're married to someone who doesn't have this, you're probably not going to pass it on because it, it takes two. You can pass on all sorts of other trouble, right? Trauma and shame, like we were saying before, there's, there's levels and levels and layers and layers of this. But the actual emotional flashback condition, it's, it's unlikely you pass it back unless you married someone who's just as selfish as you. 
Hi. Um, and uh, and therefore you both kind of push forward uh, the non-care of the child. Um, so, I mean, you talk about here, I get triggered by things like you saying mothers need to make lots of eye contact with their babies. I surely failed at this much of the time. I tried to tell myself I did the best I could. My grown kids recognize I did my best. Thank you. Well, your grown kids recognizing you did your best and still having a relationship with you is like, that's really saying a lot. It is. It's really saying a lot. It means you've done well. So feel good about that. You've done well. Um, and, uh, you know, the eye contact, I mean, what I'm saying is that for the mother who wants to like pour into their child the best they can, the eye contact is, is what the young child, especially between one and three, just thrives on this. They look away, they look back. It's about finding security in eye contact. Um, your husband, your family, the, the, the system that you're in is what it is, right? So as opposed to being like, oh, us, the past, it's, oh, us right now, Jesus, he owns us. We own this. So um, I'll, I'll be like real frank again. I have told and will tell again my 16-year-old that at some point it will be important for her to realize how angry she is at me for things in the past that I don't even probably know. And if she needs to tell me that I'm preparing myself to be ready to hear it because I need her to forgive me because it's true because of CPTSD, it must be, right? And so, and you know, within the home, whatever that is, however I didn't pay attention, however I wasn't there to to, to provide security or comfort in some way, you know, busy away doing something else for the church. <laughs> you know, the workaholism is very much a part of this. Uh, uh, so um, providing them the opportunity and the freedom and the vulnerability to have their anger about how unfair it was for us to have our shame be part of their life, um, which is true. And here you see the sin, the original sin connection very, very clearly um, uh, to present that opportunity to the children. Uh, that's my goal. That's my goal. So that's where I would encourage you on that one. Um, yeah. All right. We're going to come back with more direct theology. Thanks to all of you that, that uh, have sat through this first hour of that, because if you're not into like psychology, this may not be your cup of tea, but we got, we got more theology coming your way in just a moment. I'm going to take a little break and we'll be right back. All right. All right. So yeah, that, that one wore me out <laughs> by the end. I was like, why, why am I still talking about this? But I think, I think most of you probably felt it was valuable. That's, that's again, part of the, the condition is a, a it's not just a, a small ego. It's a lack of ego. It's a lack of uh, confident assertion. So one of the things that after you do anything publicly or with another human, you tend to go back and perseverate on it. You'll run around it over and over and over again. Did I do it right? Did I do it right? Did I do it right? There's a um, uh, performance anxiety you carry with all human relationships. And then, of course, I mean, I got it right here for that reason, too. So like it compiles at a certain point and your brain just wears out of trying to keep up with that. You know, the, the emotional inputs. It's also sort of like, I can compare it to this. Um, I, I, I by no means think I'm Superman, but I remember in man of steel, a moment where Superman is having his powers, uh, come and uh, he can see too much. He can hear too much. It's all happening at once. He's like a little boy. He ends up hiding in the janitor's closet, trying to make all the inputs go away. And when you're in a flashback, it's very much like that. Uh, you just you just don't even know where the emotions are coming from, and everything that's said to you feels like someone's sucker punching you. And uh, finding your way out of that, it's it's no small task. But again, I will assert to you, there is a path. Um, that that path is discipline, and that discipline means believing in the next world more than this one, and then self controlling yourself through what the scriptures say self control is. And and you can find you can find a real walk there. I think, Natalie. I mean, mine's small and early, but it feels better. Oh my. Uh, Natalie says this, uh, what if all the LCMS in the area are on board with the vaccination and all the ideological rules, how to encourage standing up for the estate of the church and not bowing to the government? Natalie. 
So, yeah, I mean, do you want to I don't think we can talk about vaccinations and masks in the same sentence, really. Uh, We certainly can talk about government overreach in the same sentence with those things. But when we're going to talk about how a congregation is going to engage those requests or ideologies from various governmental pharmaceutical organizations, um, they have to be taken in the, on their own merits separately. Um, and, you know, the most recent briefings of power with Dr. Koontz, which if it's not posted yet, should be posted before the end of the weekend. A guy who's posting it's in a move. It's funny. The guy who was posting moved and things didn't get posted. And then I got a new guy doing it and he moved. <laughs> <laughs> and so it might, he lost his computer uh, in the move and he'll find it, but it might be, uh, uh, might be a couple of days, but it, one of the first things we talk about is what are vaccinations? What are vaccines? Where do they come from? What's the history of them? It's a big category with a lot of diversity in it. It's, it is the like least technical term you could be using to describe things you shoot up into your body. Uh, a vaccine is something we hope inoculates you. Like that's the best definition Coons came up with. It's like, it's supposed to inoculate you. How? Well, lots of ways. <laughs> And also the smallpox vaccine, the first really important one, um, was more like, you know, building up an immunity to iocane powder. It just sort of like uh, a little bit over time and you eventually don't get it. Right. It's like allergy shots. Uh, But, you know, mRNA, quote unquote, vaccines are are not that they're just completely different thing. Are they supposed to stop something? Yeah, but in a completely different way. And, you know, by by tinkering with the genome in a way. And so, you know, to lump them into one category, I think, is just par for the white noise, <laughs> par for the confusion. Um, and then to put mass in that category as well uh, as just part of the rule set. So you have a couple things. You have, you have, should we hurt people's health when we know that it will hurt them if we don't tell them about the thing they're doing that's going to hurt them, like masks that make you sick, <laughs> especially in human weather. Um, so, so like masks. Um, uh, or uh, uh, how much do we talk about things that are gray areas you know how much is every congregation every pastor able to follow the information about every single vaccine that's out there the watchdog sites themselves are fighting about it right so there's just there's so much confusion there um i had one more i wanted to add to that but i'm gonna lose it uh but the point oh oh, and then it says a congregation how do you assess any dictate from your government right so the government says hey do this please like lower your flag to half mask like do you say yes do you say no why Right. What's your agenda as the congregation for handling these things? And what COVID has shown is that we had no preparation whatsoever for anything other than business as normal, which is slow decline into retirement and death. Like that was that was what we were ready for. And this ain't that. And now we're confused. <laughs> and we got no head. We're waffling. No leadership. We kind of try to have leader. Our leadership said, hey, we didn't have our meeting last year. We need it next year. That, that was our leadership. All right. All right. So like, um. So to answer your question is impossible because you cannot attack any one of these things singly and, and or uh, together, right? You can't do it all at once. You have to take them each singly and we can't do it as a group because there's no one of us loud enough to get us all to agree. So if all the LCMS areas in area are on board with say vaccinations in the sense of you have to get them, if the government says you have to get them, what are you supposed to do? That's one question. If all the congregations in your area offer a service where there are masks required because most of the people there or some of the people there really want them, that's a completely different consideration, right? And so to say this is all about the government estate and the church estate is is kind of helpful, I think, kind of. It's certainly about where that line is and how do we know. Um, but I'm not sure three estate talk even really helps us here. Aside from 
kind of the, the foundational work of recognizing that you have your family and you have your congregation and you have someone with a sword near enough to you to stop you from doing stuff. And that's why you don't do stuff. And how those relate to each other is very important. And there is an order, which is, I believe, family first, uh, created wise family, and then church as a new family, the family of a new kingdom, the bloodline of a new man. And then current civil government as the dying kingdom, right? The, the dying age, which doesn't want to admit that it's dying. Um, how do you stand up for the state of the church when the government's taking over the church when it's already happening? I mean, so it's one of the parallels, a very scary one in my mind of uh, pre-Nazi Germany, state churches. Uh, the more that the, the pastorate was effectively doing the bidding of the government, so the less church the place became. So rather than say, Natalie, how do I encourage this? I think instead what you say is this, any church that detaches itself from being the church as its primary means of existence and starts applying instead the rules of the state will eventually destroy itself one way or the other. It's just a fact. And so if you figure out that's what's going on in your congregation, talk to the pastor about your concern, talk to an elder about your concern, and then leave. Leave. Uh, because you don't want to be in a church that is under the thumb of, of this particular zeitgeist. You don't want that. But does every church in which some people get vaccinations and some people wear masks having that happen? No, no. You have to find a place where you can take a stand too. don't retreat to your home and hide. So go to the public place where you can build your connections with other people. Um, ah, Natalie, it's too big a question. So I feel like I'm not even giving you an answer here. How do we encourage standing up for the estate of the church and not bowing to government? I mean, how's this? Pray the Psalms, read the Proverbs, and then it'll happen. You'll stand up for church and you'll stop bow into government because you'll be like, yeah, the government's bad. That's a bad government. I'm not going to do what it says. It's, they said do bad stuff. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, that's how. And and the reason why no one's asking these questions about vaccines is because we already had failed to ask these questions about vaccines before this. Being as pro-life as we want to say we are, we're not as pro-life as we say we are on a number of levels. And so all of this is like, it's like, you know, if you really want to argue about the estate that's under attack, it's not even the church. The church ain't even under attack. It's the family's under attack. Family's been under attack for a long time. Divorce is legal. Prostitution is legal. Pornography is all over. The church, the, the family's the thing that's the problem here. Uh, uh, the churches are weak because the families are weak. How do you encourage setting up for the family? Well, <laughs> hey guys, stand up and be men. It's time to. It's pretty psalms. Hey, if you join the Sons of Solomon, Sons of Solomon is a men's prayer fellowship in which we believe that by praying the Psalms together, like the same ones, not only will it help unify us toward the unity of the church in temporal reality, but also it can't hurt. Jesus is going to answer these prayers. And so let's let's use them, these diasporatic uh, songbook for your own affliction and his answers. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot tell you enough how much getting into a regular pattern of prayer throughout your life, a la monasticism, but not like take it into the world four times a day, seven, whatever you want to do. Sons of Solomon's four times a day, open up those Psalms and it will rejuvenate your reality in ways you can't express or explain. It's more like the clock will just tick differently forever. Yeah, Those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. This kind of hunger, this kind of understanding is yours to pick up. And the Sons of Solomon is there to encourage you in that. We do have a muster coming up in this month, May. You can find out more about that at the Mad Christian Discord. If you have a Discord app, just search for Us the Chill. Ask for entry. Look for the Sons of Solomon channel. You can also send a question through riffist.com slash contact and ask about the Sons of Solomon muster in May here in Rockford, getting as many of you who are praying these Psalms with us together to pray together. 
demonstrate our solidarity uh, and uh, we'll have some good casual conversation about the end of the world, right? Why not? Why not? So here's my answer, Natalie. I feel like that was like one of the lamest answers I've ever given in terms of real like organization, but I, I don't think I don't think it was not true. Andrew, long one coming. We'll do a little bit of this. I got to remember where I put that. Andrew says this. In regards to Hebrews 12, 16 through 17, when it mentions Esau seeking his inheritance with tears, is this used as a reference for a... (laughs) I like this flashback to like 17 in the SAT testing room. Uh, A, those who have fallen away and having died in unbelief seek their inheritance on the last day and are refused. Or... B, those who have fallen away and can't be brought back into repentance, referring to the Hebrews chapter 4, even with tears, if they sought it. I think you mean Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, so again, uh, those who have fallen away and having died in unbelief, seek the inheritance on the last, yes, that one. Uh, B, those who have fallen away and can't be brought back to repentance in this life. Um, Also, possibly that one, but then you're asking this because you think you're that one and you're not. So uh, we're going to look at the text in a moment and, and we'll dig into it more. But the, the important thing here is like, who is Esau, right? And what's his status? Uh, does Esau go to hell? Jesus will decide that on the last day. Does Esau have the promises of circumcision? Yep, he sure does. Um, did he believe in those promises at the time when he sold them? Nope, he sure didn't. What was he upset about and trying to get back? It was actually the physical inheritance. He thought Jacob had taken the physical inheritance. And when Jacob fled, he was pretty happy to have the physical inheritance. And he didn't try to get back the spiritual inheritance. He doesn't understand the difference at the time. Does that mean that by the time he shows up and forgives Jacob and they dwell together in the land that he has entirely forsaken trust in the Messiah and those promises? He's got more money than Jacob does. So what if Jacob has the promises of some future Messiah? Okay, so be it. Does that mean he's not a Christian? Jesus will decide that on the last day. We don't get to say that Esau didn't come back to the faith. It doesn't say that. What it does say is that once he rejected the lineage, he no longer had a chance to be in that lineage. Once the judgment comes, the judgment comes. And so your answer again, uh, who is the one, where is the ultimate place where this will be? It's, It's the last day. When it will be shown that you're weighed in the balance and found wanting because you've rejected Christ. But you, my friend, have not rejected Christ. Everyone listen to this, by and large, except for the skeptic who isn't going to listen this long. He has, everyone who's listening has not rejected Christ. Rather, Christ has claimed you and you've said amen to this. I want this. In fact, you're plagued by the fact that you might somehow be so foolish as to throw it away. Dear Jesus, don't let me. Only Christians do that. <laughs> I don't want you to look at yourself for your solidarity. You should not. But you have to at a certain point acknowledge you're a Christian. I am a Christian. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. I get it. I got my doubts, but actually I believe it. And it comes back daily. Like I say it out loud, I want to believe it more. And and the only way I don't believe it more is that I throw it away and I don't want to do that. And Jesus has promised that that won't happen. So he's going to save me. That's his whole entire point. If he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, mm -mm -mm. so your question, which we'll read into now, or look at now again, uh, where you're going, you're trying to use Esau as an example of the finality of Jesus as the Melchizedek in covenant once and for all. And you're either in Jesus or you're not. And you're trying to turn that into like your own little battle with your personal sin. That's arrogant, man. Stop it. It's about 
It's about rejecting Jesus and you haven't done that. Okay. So we'll go further. We'll look at the text, but this kind of introspection doesn't help you. This kind of like shaming yourself out of what's obviously true that you believe and you should take comfort in the fact that you believe it. It doesn't help you. That's not really the law. That's the devil's lie. And you want to catch it and like put it in a bottle and throw it out in the backyard, poop on it or something. Right. So all right. All right. So the reason you ask, Andrew says, is because I went through a dark period for a number of years where I had fallen away and didn't believe anymore, felt I didn't believe anymore in Christianity or in God. Okay. So you fell away. Yeah. Well, I mean, why not? You know, it, did your baptism stand with you, make you whole all the way through? Yes. Does that mean if you died in that moment, you'd be saved in the last day? You didn't die in that moment. That's not the history that exists. There are no alternate histories. There's only what is. It's a dumb question. Uh, so, you know, you, you're here now having lived in unbelief. What a thing. I mean, Solomon did it. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, the reason I asked you went through the dark period, uh, the things I said I did in regards to God are proof enough that I am the chief of sinners. And, you know, God bless you from taking on, for taking on St. Paul's moniker, but I would encourage you to remember St. Paul's the chief of sinners. St. Paul is the chief of sinners, not you, uh, that you are at the very least second. And for you to assume that you're second after Paul, again, arrogance more than piety at this point, right? So I, I love you. And I got the same problem of this arrogance. The fact is my suffering and my sin is nowhere near as much as I like to make it be, as I try to somehow feel bad about the fact that Jesus loves me anyway, right? Because that's my condition or whatever, whatever you're struggling with, right? And you're in that moment. I'm telling you at a certain point, it just doesn't count anymore. You're the liar. So you believe that you're the liar and hear the truth instead, which is that Christ has you. He has risen. You are paid for. You're immortal now. You wouldn't be listening and hungering for any of this if you didn't want it to be so. Did Saul, King Saul, what did he do? Did he go seek Yahweh? No, he went and sought the witch at Endor. Okay. So like, you're not him. You're not him. All right. So, uh, it wasn't until I started thinking that, uh, it, thinking about it, that I came to the conclusion I was angry at God. This is good. I mean, coming to that conclusion is important. Um, not that I didn't actually believe in him anymore. Yeah, sure. And I began feeling the tug to come back to, to the light. That's, that's good. Like repentance. That's awesome. Uh, faith, that's the Holy Spirit working. And that does not happen without the Holy Spirit. So take comfort that the Holy Spirit is with you. Uh, I have since felt like I have been awakened from a dream. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 2020 did that to me. CPTSD did that to me. Goodness gracious, over and over and over. But yeah, I, I get that too. Um, there's a beautiful thing about Christianity, which is that even if you don't fall away, you do sort of repent more later of things you didn't know you needed to before, kind of. So there, there's this nice place where you get to awaken every day in Christianity. You get to awaken every year anew. Some of that's just growing, being a human that sees more because you've had more time to live and learn. Um, but some of that is the ongoing, what, uh, inspiration uh, of the Holy Spirit's inerrant scriptures in your life. Now, again, I would, I would contend you want more scripture in your life uh, on a prayerful and devotional basis, not necessarily a study basis uh, to, to help with this. But that awakening thing, right? So you even talking that way, when, when your question is like, but do I get to? Is it okay or am I out for good? I mean, that, you, you sound like a papist. You really do. You sound like a papist. By the grace of God, I've been getting back to church and taking communion again. Uh, well, then you're not a papist. <laughs> I know that, uh, that none who seek the Lord will be denied. So you know it. But there's the verse about Esau in chapter 12 and those who fall away in chapter, I think, 6 are quite troubling to someone like myself who has been in a shadow and betrayed the Lord. God bless you um, for your awareness. We've all betrayed the Lord. Uh the Hebrews 6 text, um, I've done and gone through a bunch. The important thing about that text is that it's plural. It just solves it in a minute. It's, it's a plural. It's about the church. It's about a congregation, not about you individually. Read the whole thing again. It's not you individually. It's you plural. And it makes it all make sense. Once the congregation falls away, yeah, it doesn't really come back usually. You know, I mean, you, you can have an, an injection. 
you know, a little, little shootout and you can have once in a while there will be these events where like like 90 percent of the congregation leaves and like 10 percent remain right um you know I, I think that that still fits under this this radar here of, of hebrews 6 that once the congregation has ceased worshiping jesus it's it's become a diabolical monster um hey rome how you doing by the grace of god uh you've been getting back to church like you said oh wait, 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 wait. so so the hebrews 6 does not um in my mind really connect with the, the hebrews 12 text the way you would like it to um but oops i shut all that down i'm gonna uh something i had open is no longer open so give me one second we'll find some hebrews 12 to look at do, do. hebrews bum bum and uh, here how are we gonna do this we're gonna go one two there it is all right hebrews 12 Mm-mm-mm. oh right here there we go uh one moment everybody we come back here you want 16 and 17 specifically all right so let's let's check that out 16 and 17 say this uh well it's not a full sentence we're gonna go back to 14 at least for that Let's go back to 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. So what's the point he's trying to talk about? What's he wants you to do? He wants to encourage you. This is a section about what? Encouragement. What's you're supposed to get out of this? You're supposed to feel better. You're supposed to want to do more. You're supposed to go and be stronger. Is this section here in order to tell you, even though you kind of obviously are a Christian, you should doubt it? No. <laughs> so don't do that, Andrew. Don't do that. Right? Uh, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Tell yourself you're a Christian and stop whining about how you might not be so that you can see everybody else around you. So that you can live where you are for the world that's coming, not for the present angst. Yeah? Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Right? So, so you are in a process of healing. That's the point. You're in a process of healing. You're in a place where you are being awakened to understand and see in a way that the rest of the human world doesn't because they're pagan, heathen, Fools, fools. So pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, right? Pretty general things. Like if you're not in Jesus and you're trying to destroy everything, yeah, you're not a Christian and it's not going to be good for you. Um, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, right? What does that mean? That's talking about your community again. That together you want to support each other and not let anyone get too isolated and off alone wherein they cannot receive the grace of God. Because honestly, you can't receive the grace of God by yourself. I mean, you can read the Bible by yourself, but but you're going to get to those texts about being the assembly that gets together and you, you can't be by yourself and do that. So, you know, looking carefully toward each other as a group, lest any root of bitterness spring up, to cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Notice the public nature of this. Notice how we're again talking corporately. This is not generally going to be about your individual heart so much as the, the public life of the church, which recently I was like, yeah, that we, we acknowledge there's some problems in a lot of congregations. Uh, but what you're striving here in this section to see is that you who are Christians, believe you are Christians, work for peace, avoid and strive to avoid Bitter roots. Don't let things that don't matter divide the congregation. Focus on the things that the scriptures say do matter. Lest there be uh, many who are defiled by someone else who who just defiles the congregation. So I didn't even think about this with the Hebrews 6 reference, but clearly going through the text now, this is congregational talk. This is plural talk. This is not about you individually. This is about the whole body. It's about the whole body making sure that they walk together so that something like a fornicator or a profane person does not destroy the assembly. What does that mean? Okay, so some guy who has left his wife, he's shacking up with his girlfriend downtown and he comes to church, sits in the front, front row every week. We're supposed to talk to that 
guy and be like, hey, dude, don't do that. He's like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, you can't come to church anymore. That's what this is about, right? It's not about your past sins you've repented of and how you don't know if you can be good enough because Esau is an example. Do you see how much you're making this about you when it's really about Jesus saving you? Do you see that, right? I mean, it's real important to see that. The inclination, we're talking about being chief of sinners, it's thinking you're chief of sinners and that that matters. Stop, stop, stop acting like that's something that's good for you to say out loud. Instead, say, I'm, I'm chief of forgiven, if you're going to say that, right? I mean, I get it. Paul said it, um, but we don't use it well. We don't use it well. Um, so like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. What's that word birthright mean? Do not take that to mean the full covenant of his personal salvation. That's, stop it. That's not what it said. He sold the right for Jesus to be born from his body and to inherit all the money of his father. In order to inherit all the money of his father, he chased his brother who retained the right to have Jesus born from his body out of the country, okay? And took it anyway. That's what this is talking about. It's not talking about when that guy, Jacob, came back as Israel with many flocks, with blessed by God, so he doesn't need Esau's money anymore. Did Esau say, you know, well, that Messiah, he must not ever be coming. No, they went their own ways, right? And he, they retained circumcision. Did the Edomites become a thorn in the flesh? Do we pray against the Edomites? Yes, we do. Um, was Herod an Edomite? Yes, he was. But but that does not mean Esau's personal conscience did not believe. And we just, we just don't get to know that. But what we do know is that as a young man, he made a stupid decision that undid the possibility of Jesus coming from his line as prophesied. Um, so, so you hear what I'm saying? Like, this isn't about you, man. This isn't about your personal angst. This is about the congregation enduring outright and open sin when we know it's wrong. So this is closer connected to things like making people, making people wear unhealthy clothing that harms their system and makes them more likely to, to get ill, <laughs> forcing them to do this against their will. That's more like, you know, the kind of sin you might want to try to work on not having be a public ongoing reality. I, I mentioned mass earlier and um, I just want to throw it out there again today. MIT, I learned this yesterday. MIT just released a study and go Google for it. It was on CNBC. I mean, it's almost like the liberals don't care that no one's listening anymore. It was on CNBC. Um, I have to go find it. Hopefully we'll get that in man Mondays. Again, this is earshot one side removed, but uh, MIT re- released a study making it pretty clear. Masks are just the dumbest thing you could possibly be doing ever on this whole thing. Everybody all along, dumb, dumb, don't work. Welcome to religion, everybody. Uh, so anyway, we'll see if we get that into Mad Mondays. Have you signed up for Mad Mondays? Mad Mondays is the news email you do want to get uh, because it will help you remember that the place is crazy and it's better to turn the computer off and just keep doing what you're doing where you are. And then if they are outside the gates with guns, you'll hear about it. You'll hear about it. So um, Mad Mondays, sign up at riffis.com slash newsletter. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Which makes me think about things um, like, can I do it? Oh, where'd it go? Like this. I don't know if that was the best place to put an advertisement, but it happened. So it's, it's, it's there and done. Um, still having, uh, and I'm on the wrong, wrong camera. There we go. This will work. There. This is why I actually do have plans to train one of my children to run the show behind the scenes while we're doing it. We got a couple more verses here on Esau, but I, I want to emphasize again it is the communal nature of this text that you want to you want to focus in on. It is the um, it is the group setting, the corporate 
church reality that he's talking about. So all of you strengthen your hands together. All of you, when you come together as congregation and don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, that's context as well. All of you as a group look to each other lest you fall short of grace. Right? Give grace to each other for forgiveness in such a way that you also say to the one who should stop the public outward actions from doing them. Stop it. Don't do that. I know you want to. It's wrong. Stop it. Don't do it. We forgive you. Right. Uh, do that with each other rather than be like the one who leaves the church like Esau. Right. And never comes back. But you're back. This text doesn't mean you can't come back. You know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently. Matures is talking about the inheritance of his money and, and of the lineage. It doesn't mean he never believed. It doesn't mean that. Could it, is it possible that he goes to hell? Yes. I'm not, I'm not going to say that either. I just think that we can't take this and then make a whole dogma out of it that ignores and tramples on a bunch of other stuff that we know is true, which is that repent and believe the gospel is always true until you die. And then when you die, you're, you're, you're where you are. So yeah, I keep going because I don't want to leave you kind of uh, stuck with that. Um, and yet at the same time, I think, I think I do got to move on because I feel like I'm belaboring the point. Um, there is, there's a point, Andrew, where it's your own obstinate unbelief. So you want to claim the title chief of sinners. Here it is. You just won't believe that you're not chief of sinners and that you're totally way free. And it's your own obstinance right now. It's the only thing between you and that. Your own not wanting to believe it. Because the baptism, it's declared it to you. And you're back in church. Thank God he did that, not you. Why would he do that? Just to, just to scoff at you? What kind of God do you think you got? He's merciful, gracious. Jesus Christ says the first is free. Jesus Christ unleashes the bound. Jesus Christ is the one, well, who is risen. Who is risen. Huh? Stacy says this, I work with students who come from traumatic lives, several with aggressive behaviors, and I have enjoyed recent resources about CPTSD. Thank you, Stacey. Uh, knowing that they are in the midst of their trauma is hard. Uh, I've heard people talking about honoring your mother and father and other authorities, but when the people who are to love, who they are to love and protect are the ones doing the harm, there we go. The people who are supposed to love and protect are the ones doing the harm, I struggle, right? So trauma in the sense that uh, childhood trauma means that the, the father and mother who are given for the honoring, according to the fourth commandment, are the ones dishonoring themselves by uh, trouncing the heritage of their own name and the identity of the child whom they are harming. Usually as some form of paternal, that is paternal, both those words, uh, uh, generational sin. But the maternal realities are always a part of that. And yeah, I mean, how do you teach one to honor father and mother when father and mother are harming the one? And it is, it is not by staying in the harm. Let me just say that right out, out front. It is not by um, remaining under the tyranny. And nowhere does Christ say, um, put your face before the tyrant and tell him to slap it, right? It's, it's rather, don't lift up your arms to fight back uh, if you, you know, in anger because that's not going to be the, the, the right solution. So as someone who still is like, you know, uh, working through this all myself, the way I see it is this, I, I, the, the only thing I can do to honor my family is to be the best man that I can be. And that means being honest, not unnecessarily, but truthfully uh, honest in, in all things. And that means then <clears throat> if I find something is not healthy uh, to either confront it and uh, seek to remediate it or to decide that I will overlook it and that I will simply be above it and I, I will I will forgive it. And somewhere in there is the way to honor your father and your mother, even when they're um, harming you. Does that mean that you go back and let them harm you more? No. But 
maybe you do. I know that you're kind of free. That it's radical. You know, you're, you're you're free to make either decision to know that Jesus Christ will use it for good. Um, but now, what I find most people struggling with though is that they take that fourth commandment and they use it to shame themselves into repeated um, evil behaviors, behaviors that are are self destructive and uh, lies of the devil. And so, in that regard, it it has to be made clear that. Uh, to honor the fourth commandment is is not a pure obedience to whatever a parent says uh, or to whatever any authority figure says. Romans 13 does not say do whatever Caesar says. <laughs> uh, uh, it says know the authority that Caesar has built into creation. Know the authority your father and your mother have built into creation and realize that if you destroy that, you destroy your future too. So you, you cannot... You cannot say, I hate you, father and mother. I want nothing to do with you and expect your children to say anything different than that, right? And so if you find yourself in a place where you have anger or hate at your parents, your task as a Christian is to forgive them so that you might be forgiven by your children, right? And and uh, I, I don't know that that helps either, Stacey, because your question is one that's sort of endless. The fourth commandment will always come back and haunt people uh, because we want to justify ourselves by the law rather than by Christ. And then we see that one, we think, oh, that can't be too hard to keep. And we, we really put a lot in it because we keep it a bit. And then we don't, and we find, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner, right? So, um, ah, I don't know. I don't know. The office, Luther's really good on this. The office is the thing that we, uh, that we honor, not the person in the office. The person is honored for the sake of the office, not the other way around. Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He shows no partiality in his judgment. So when you're going to honor your father and your mother, you're honoring the office of father and mother. And again, at a certain point, if the father's got a sword in his hand, he's going to kill his son. You honor him by his son by running away. <laughs> you don't let a, don't let him become one who does that. You know that would dishonor him to kill his son, and you know so you would run away so as not to have that happen. Where that actually falls out is such a complex reality. There are billions of people on this planet and none of us are the same. And all of our contexts are massively Babylonianly different. And so somewhere between uh, what I said before of uh, fully and, and entirely um, confronting in health for the sake of the family relationship, every conflict and having the debate at the gates and, and dealing with each other or uh, overlooking, overlooking and, uh, Sometimes that means uh, walking away too, right? So dealing with each other may mean separating from each other and not allowing the contact because every time the contact's there, the misbehavior happens. Um, and, you know, again, who are you and who are your parents are going to have a lot to do with that. Who's your support system? How much do you have around you to keep you from buckling and crashing back into the trauma? Because many, many traumatic situations are controlling scenarios where you try to get away and they just try to pull you back in. And, you know, cult-like in a sense. So it, the broad brushing is just really dangerous here. And so I talking about this stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to do it. And I'm glad you all are interested because it seems like many of you struggle with similar stuff, but, but recognize how limited this format is. And that truly, like I said earlier, there's nothing like a one-on-one for this, where you have somebody who is able to remember your story, take interest in your particular story and find those nuances that make a difference. Uh, there's no broad brush way to uh, to answer, you know, how do you honor father and mother when you're in a traumatic scenario? Other than that, to say again, what the what they don't have in the world is forgiveness has got to be part of it. When you discover that you're angry at somebody else that's a human, um, you either justify it with your works or you forgive. And the atonement that Christ has given to forgive before you would go and reconcile is uh, it's like a superpower again. You just have a different perspective than anybody else does. You're not going in it to win. You don't have to win. 
No winning involved. You already won. Now it's a matter of sharing what has been won. It's a very different way to see the world. Uh, Esther says this, uh, how would you counsel someone who is having a hard time praying in front of family members, like at the table, because of a difference in beliefs about prayer? Just to clarify, there are a number, there are members of the family who are Lutheran and members who are Baptist. How would you balance the question of fellowship, respect for brothers and orthodoxy? So are, there's a couple ways to take your question. Um, are you talking about like the Baptists want you to pray and you're not comfortable doing it the way they do it? Are you talking about how um, like you've seen it done and you don't know how to do it at home? Um, so I'm not quite sure what you're getting at here uh, <laughs> at all, actually. So I can, what I can do is I can talk about questions of fellowship. I can talk about respect for our brothers. I can talk about you know, the need for orthodoxy and I can talk about differences in prayer. Uh, and you know, Frisbee, the hand mentioned in the, in the review or the, the summary of all this stuff, um, there is a habit amongst a lot of, American Christians, I think, Protestant Christians, of praying at dinner uh, before or after the meal, not come Lord Jesus be our guest and, and not just uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, but also uh, dear Jesus, please be with Aunt Granny and with, with brother, sister and with all the stuff, right? All the peoples. Um, and, and, you know, you go around and like they take turns and like the kid prays as a way of teaching. I don't do that. Uh, it's not part of my heritage and culture. However, I don't know that I would say you shouldn't do that either. Right. And so some of this question is about tribalism, really. And uh, how are you going to pray as a group and to try to impose tactics upon the format of the prayers is really what we don't want to do. Uh, we want to keep the principles of prayer, which are given to us, the Psalter, the Lord's Prayer, uh, the things we pray for, the things the Bible says we will get. We should probably have that be somewhere in the picture. But then from there, uh, the freedom of the group to, uh, to create art out of that experience uh, as people, uh, that's something we want to preserve and treasure. So, you know, if you want to read spoken prayers and the treasury daily prayer and have it all be, you know, monastically in order, everyone's eating in silence and just the reading's going on, it sounds kind of cool. Uh, or we're all going to sit around, pull names out of a hat and pray for those names. I mean, I'm for reverence. I'm for like the old world. I'm for doing it in ways that it lasted a long time and not trying to be novel. I'm for trying to take it seriously so that the kids feel like it's a serious thing and not a game, right? So so all of that's important. Um, but, you know, the word balance is probably my least favorite word in your question. There's no balance here. There's, there's what you do. There's what God has given. There's the walk. And if you're not balanced, you're just falling. So how do you walk in fellowship with brothers who are heterodox? Maybe that's a better question, but then what does that do with prayer? I mean, if you're in the wells, it has a lot to do with prayer. If in the LCMS, it doesn't. And I'm LCMS, so I can kind of just go (laughs) like that, although I'll come back to it, um, I think. But I think the question more of just what does it mean to have fellowship with brothers who are heterodox? I think that's, that's important. There are Christians and there are Christians and there are more Christians. And whatever your definition of orthodox is, it's a minority. (laughs) you're in the minority of your orthodoxy Uh, even rome and its super majority of the roman catholic catechism remains kind of a minority i think in terms of those who actually believe and know what it says in the big picture stuff so orthodoxy is always a minority uh, even though from the invisible sense right from god's point of view there is only orthodoxy all the rest is dross that's just burning away and he doesn't even see it so Embracing that's kind of actually a hopeful thing, I think. But then when your orthodoxy is uh, unable to find a fellow shape 
with someone else's orthodoxy and you both claim to have the same orthodoxy. That's where is, is balance the word we really want to use there uh, or is reconciliation the word we really want to use there? How, how do you reconcile fellowship with brothers who are heterodox? Yeah. How does the church exist outside the church? Where is this una sancta body of Christ thing at and where are its lines? And we always want to draw them and we really can't. And the idea of prayer fellowship is that we should acknowledge that there are some real significant differences out there and not wash, whitewash this stuff. Because the more we whitewash it, the worse it seems to get. <laughs> so instead, you know, rather than just getting together and assuming we all know who Jesus is, why don't we make sure we pray to the same Jesus? Since, you know, up north of here, they're praying to, you know, the, the cow and calling it Jesus. Uh, and that's a very real concern. And then, you know, how do you, how do you teach this? Um, uh, I don't know. How would I counsel someone having a hard time praying in front of a family member because of the differences? I'd say, pray however you want to pray and let the differences be damned because Jesus should be like literally forgiving us. And so all of our problems are not our problems anymore. So, um, that's kind of where I would go on, on that one. If they're asking you to pray, pray. If you can't pray with them, don't pray with them. Um, you can sit there while they pray and not say amen. I mean, I, I, I do that in churches in the LCMS sometimes. <laughs> it's like, I didn't, I didn't mean that one. Anybody, anybody else? All right. All right. <laughs> that one was weird. Um, so, you know, uh, it's just not that easy. It's, it's why having written things and why having uh, liturgy can be really, really sustaining. Ritual is a form of victory. Like the ritual is the victory and doing it daily becomes the victory over time. And so having a, a format that does not change and prayers that you are able to know, um, like Psalms, this is just super real. And the thing about like everyone who wants the ex-corde prayer, like, well, then I can't pray for cousin Bob. It's like, you haven't tried the Psalms, man. You just haven't tried the Psalms. You just don't even know. You don't even know. You don't need any ex-corde prayer. You don't need any of the other written prayers. All the colics, they're nice. They're nice. They're fine. Public worship, fine. But really, Until you got the Psalter memorized and it's coming out of your ears and your butt and everywhere other direction you can possibly go, it's just Psalter every direction. I don't know why you're praying anything else. Now, I only figured that out like six months ago. So I got the same problem, right? And I don't, I don't mean to sound above you, but um, I'd say open the Bible and read a Psalm and eat dinner. And they're all gonna be like, that was weird. But you're gonna be like, that was the word of God, people. I just rocked it. So that's where I would go with that one, Esther. That's, that's where I would go with that one. Where are we at here? We got 25 minute or so. Brian wanted me to go long today. I probably could. I saw a lot of questions in the in the sidebar. So we'll roll back and start rolling through those here uh, in just a moment. I'm gonna take another short break, get some water. So give me give me a solid two minutes, we'll be right back.
survive is to live on after hope is long is lost. It requires courage. You must affect a belief that you can rescue yourself. This is talking about if you're lost in the woods. You need to survive. The most important thing to know is that you have to affect self-rescue. It's also one of the most important things you can know about your own psyche, your own struggle with the soul, your own daily walk. Uh, you must pick yourself up and walk. You must affect self-rescue when it, no one else will. You must stand there and see with your own eyes. Does that mean you can save yourself from sin, death, and the devil? No. In fact, the moment you would try to affect a self-rescue in this life with authenticity, you would come to the realization you can't rescue yourself from certain things. You can't rescue yourself from death. And that way, all things are always working according to somebody else's design that you have no control over. So there is that. But at the same time, you can also see that if you do this, this happens. If you do that, that happens. And so, well, when you are willing to walk, you will. And self-rescue is part of that, right? I don't, I'm not talking theology here. I'm talking psychology again. I'm talking about living in a world that looks like it's falling apart. I'm talking about doing that as one who believes Jesus has risen from the dead, that he's bought you, that you're his now, and that he's coming back. And that means that now, instead of sitting here and saying, what can we do? The answer is affect self-rescue. Not you're going to save yourself, but you're going to look to yourself as the one God put in your body to be here for this moment right now. And that your mind and your hands and your heart are here for this moment right now to do something which involves being you. That's the self-rescue I'm talking about. Now, if that didn't make any sense to you, you probably don't have childhood trauma. (laughs) But then again... I think, as someone else pointed out, that a lot of these things resonate with everybody. So, to survive, you must believe that you can. And in this physical and psychological conditioning, absolutely matter, mostly endurance. Patience is the Christian attribute I think we pay least attention to these days as Christian people. I hear people say, what should we do? And my answer is, wait and pray. You can't just do that. Why not? (laughs) Because you just can't. Peace, patience, kindness, huh? Peace, patience, kindness. So that, that's my thought. Questions from you on the sideboard today. We're going to go do a bunch of these while we run out the time. Uh, and I'll stick around as long as you want, honestly. So we got uh, early chatter. I know I saw some questions. Scrolling, scrolling for them. Wow. Did I miss everything? Do, 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 do. I could have maybe prepared this while I was. Well, goodness gracious. Do, do, do. There's one. I thought there was one before this, but it's kind of says this. This was from something I said earlier in the show. I said, he, when I talked about the angels, angels are all angels male, all the ones we've seen. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, angelology is this amazing thing where we know a ton of very little. <laughs> and what we know is that all the ones that have shown up are either masculine or like bestial in some way. And so no one was checking the bestial parts that I'm aware of, right? The Eagle, like, yeah. Anyway, so, I think we are safe to assume from the orders of creation as evident in even human nature that uh, those angels, which are the ministers of the Father, Son, and Spirit, are, when compared to, say, carnal gender sexuality, they are on the masculine reality. They're not neuter. They, they are the, the dominant protecting strength of God's angelic fire, right? And that's what they're made of. They are, they are ministering spirits. To call them male, though, I mean, no, they don't have, like, body parts. So, you know, male, female isn't quite right, but they're he. They're not she. And that's where you can see just how confused we are and why we're arguing about stuff that doesn't really matter. We're that backwards and upside down from the rest of creation. They look at us and they're like, why are you women trying to be like, oh, stop it? And it makes them cry and stuff. And that's that's actually in the Bible. That's First Corinthians 11. 
because of the angels. So there you go. There's that one. That was faster than I expected. Here we go. Um, uh, <clears throat> oh, good. Nithirius responded to that same question. What does male and female mean to those who do not reproduce? Fair enough indeed. Although again, what does father mean to the, to the one who marries no mother? Hmm? Yeah. So there's something there that we just have to believe uh, that the father is the image uh, of whom man is a reflection in whom woman is a piece. Uh, uh, and that man by himself alone was the reflection, but it wasn't good for him to be alone. So, you know, I, what do you do with that? Uh, you, you can complain or you can realize it's good because that's what God did it. And so it's good. And your complaining is the, the problem, right? You just don't want to see for some reason. So there's some chatter about Minecraft. That's awesome. Is TTR. <laughs> Does Table Talk Radio count as therapy? I know, Brian, you tell me 100, 100 points. That's not even very much, man. It's not even very much. Get people more than that when they come in and like boost your show on my show. Do, do, do. More question about angels. Cafe says this in the Bible, when angels are mentioned, are any identified with other than male names? No, so that's just it. Uh, if are identified as male, does male mean something with regard to angels? I think I made that case already. So there you go. Good question. But yeah, no, they're all that I'm aware of masculine and or destructive at times, like Apollyon, I think, and, and stuff like that. So, so uh, Donald Jacobson, back on the CPTSD, says, I'm a psychiatrist and have PTSD from childhood and adult trauma. Fortunately, not complex PTSD. Thank you for acknowledging publicly that you are fortunate to have PTSD as opposed to complex <laughs> truth. Uh, my prayers are with you. Thank you. God's blessings to you. You know, it, it is a blessing at the end of this one, even though it's it's the curse and the thorn and all that. Uh, aren't emotional flashbacks fun? <sighs> no, no. Um, they're not, they are, uh, one of the more surreal, like trying to think of the movie that compare it to, uh, one of the more surreal experiences I can imagine having, having, I'm just so thankful that I know what it is and that the box I can put it in now is a box. And like, that makes sense now, as opposed to just not understanding why something happened, you know? Um, and again, that's a, he probably understands that. Donald, I hope you understand that, but everyone else may not. Um, so thank you for that comment, though. No, they're not fun. Um, I, I spent 30 years, he says, specializing in treatment uh, with uh, for people with disassociated disorders from government mind control experiments and SRA abuse. <laughs> government mind control experiences, like the National Broadcasting Channel. Are you talking about that? I'm kind of glad I'm retired now. Gross understatement. Yeah, yeah. Well, the world is still spinning. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, good question. Thanks for chiming in. And, and yeah, no, it's not fun. But I will insist it's good that better to better to know your uh, tripwire and walk so as to not trip than to pretend there is no tripwire there at all. Hmm? So uh, still scanning for more questions. <clears throat> Here's one. Denver Lockman says this. What do you mean Jesus will decide that on the last day? That's a really interesting question. Um, oh, I think maybe someone answered it. What I meant was, though, right? So, Judgment Day, books are open, everything, everyone's done, good or evil, is revealed. One on one. Do we get to watch a movie of it? I don't know. Uh, hopefully it's fast. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be painful for a lot of people. Books are open, and the dead are judged for watching the books. And then there'll be another book open called the book of life. And if your name's in the book of life, then what's in the other books doesn't matter. And that's it. Right? Revelation uh, 20, 19, somewhere in there. Uh, the great white throne judgment. And uh, so what I'm saying is that on that day, it will be revealed who is an unbeliever. And that until then, we don't get to see that because that's 
how Jesus is the judge. Like that's the judge that he will make. He will judge on that day, believer, unbeliever, believer, believer, unbeliever, sheep, goat, sheep, goat. Like he, he will do it. And yet we will do it too. The sheep are going to be like part of it, right? And so in terms of your ability to figure out if Esau is in paradise, right? Um, you have to wait for Jesus to be the judge on that. And I'm suggesting also generally that's a good thing to apply to Christians around you until the group of Christians as church realizes that this guy is disturbing the peace of the congregation by rejecting what we teach and what Jesus left us to believe. Right. And then you decide to tell him, we think on the last day, you're not going to be judged so well. (laughs) So would you like to repent, please? Uh, Actually, we tell repent or get out of here. Um, That might work better actually uh, in terms of getting the repentance to happen. Uh, But you know, so the, the, the congregation church has a function in which we do make judgments now. Uh, but ultimately, we recognize that the final say in who gets to be, who, who's a Christian, who's not, uh, Jesus reveals on the last day. I'm also going to say, though, he's revealed now in your baptism. The only one who doesn't get it in his baptism on the last day is the one who doesn't want it. Now, otherwise, it's in your baptism already, right? It's revealed that he's for you. Uh, I pray, I pray that that was a help. Um, <laughs> scrolling, Cafe is rolling with the questions today. He says this, when have family table prayer... When having family table prayer, is it the dad's role? Can he share the role with wife, kids? If two families are together, should one dad turn the prayer over to the child for the whole group? Huh. That was funny. It's like question difficulty one, question difficulty five, question difficulty five billion four hundred and thirty-seven. <laughs> that was whoa left turn, but I get it. I see where you're going. Um, Okay, first off, it's the father's role to be the minister of the house. It's the father's role to be the preacher of the house. It's the father's role to be the priest of the house. It's the father's role to be the judge of the house. It's the father's role to be the king of the house. It's the father's role to be the man of the house. It's the father's role to be the father of the house. And in this, he will offer prayer for his family, whether he does that with them or alone. It doesn't matter. He must do this insofar as he does not do this. It's on him when the Lord curses his house. So that's that, okay? Two, can he share the role with his kid, wife and kids? I mean, I want my family to pray with me. Do I want them to lead me? Not always, but you know, I'll, I'll admit last night, last night, my wife and I pray a psalm together before we go to bed. Thank God. And may it ever be. And last night I got into bed with my CPAP machine on and pillow on my head. And we, it was a long night, good night, long night. I'm lying there and I'm like, oh, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. And she's sitting there and she always reads her Bible before she puts it out. And it's like, good for her. And um, honey, can you just read a psalm? Which psalm? I don't care. Just read a psalm. And she, she read the psalm. So she prayed for me last night. Like, like I shared the role with my wife, right? Like, and it was, it was fed me and I was actually asleep at the time it was almost over, but I said, hey, man, anywhere because she woke me up. It was, great. it was wonderful. It was great, right? So can you share the role for wife and kids? You better. <laughs> you better. Uh, you better teach them how. How? I don't know. That's hard. Now, left turn to like the very specific thing, which like, you're right. It was pretty weird to do this. So you have two families getting together, two tribes, and you got two males, two, two alphas who come together with their flock to rejoice in their Christianity and brother to brother, how do we decide which of us shall go before our God to thank him for what he's done for us today? Uh, hey, Bobby, why don't you do it? It doesn't matter to us. You do it. You need to learn. There's something about the group that should enhance the reverence, right? So like every level of getting together, the level of uh, pomp should go with it. That said, I mean, look, if you live next door to your brother's family and you eat dinner every other day together, yeah, feel free to have the kids lead the prayer if that's the way you do it. It's not the way we do it, right? So I'm not going to do it that way. I, I'm not going to tell you it's wrong. 
I will say again, when you have a group gathering together and there are males present who ought to be the kings and then they're like, nope, won't do it. It reflects the zeitgeist of the times. And I happen to be against the zeitgeist of the times. I happen to believe that the modern wind is over and going to destroy itself. And so when it comes to things like hierarchy, natural hierarchies, and prototypically symbolically living within what is evidently revealed as natural hierarchies for the good of the community, I'm all about like grabbing that with both hands. That means like if two men come together with their tribes, uh, they they do the barter talk of humility, you know, which one's really going to do it and which one is actually most honored in that moment should be the one to stand up and pray. So, you know, if you're in my house, um, I'm honored. I'll stand up and pray. You know, if you visit from Africa, hello, James May Lutheran's in Africa and I'm at somebody else's house, I want James to pray. You know, he's, he's the honored guest. So, so like, you know, it's going to, it's going to shift. But the idea that we just turn it over to a child as if, you know, the, the phrase, you know, uh, a little child shall lead them or uh, from the lips of babes, as if that's what that means is like, like ignore nature. Don't, don't love the fourth commandment. Um, that's not what those things mean. Uh, but I don't want to discourage anybody who's teaching their children to pray. Like, like that's great. Um, I would encourage you to consider building the order of creation into the format of your prayers, right? Uh, since the order of creation endures and always stands and the order of American liberation is, is eating itself to death. And you don't really want to put more anarchy into the spirit of your family. It's already there and you can't stop the inputs no matter how hard you try. So I uh, hope that helps. Personal preference. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes that is in fact it. Ooh, Brian wants me to talk more about the time ghost. Brian, are you back? Let me boot Skype. See if Brian will come on and talk about time ghost with me. I don't know what he means. What do you mean? Uh, he said he was going to come back, but he had to go write Ma- uh, Mad Mondays. No, he didn't. He had to go write, uh, excuse me, what is it called? Uh, Wednesday things and stuff. <laughs> so Brian, if you're around, I'd love to know what you mean. Uh, ask me that question uh, if you're around here. Uh, let's see. Jedi Knight throws in a super chat. He says this, I think the word for angel is simply messenger, and I think it's used for human messengers too. Can humans be angels but not angelic, the species? Yeah, we run into all sorts of problems the moment we start trying to dogmatize this. And so I highly recommend you don't. Jesus is an angel. Uh, not as Jesus, but before he's Jesus. The angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament is Jesus. The word is fluid. And, and so you can't pin it down too much. However, we have already in English, and it means these flying spirit things, which is what I meant earlier. Jedi, this is a good corrective. And indeed, uh, pastors are angels. Uh, the, the person who uh, is the father is the angel of the house. You could say that he's the messenger of the house. Um, the good angel story is what the good news, the good news is all about. Hey, Brian is calling in right now. Let's see if I can get him to show up on the screen. Hey there, Brian. How are you doing? Good. I gotta, I gotta pause this though. Okay, there we go. You're all good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Uh, all things. I I want to have you on the show. I have a note card about asking you to be on the show to talk about Second Thessalonians chapter two in like excruciating detail. But I don't know if we should do that today so much as just talk about the time ghost since that's what you wanted to ask about. And you got that question. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? Talk more about you. It? You translated um, zeitgeist as the time ghost. Early on in the show, and I made a note of it. Pew! And so I was—that's what I was wondering about. Uh, so the zeitgeist is that German word that the philosophers talk about as the spirit of the age, right? Yeah. Um, and that, but you tra- and and so you just took it literally as the time ghost. It's almost like the the demigod that 
rules the Kronos. Yes. So, so anyway, that's what I was. I, I'm. I was curious about that, and I. I think it's great. It's like the personification, the demonic personification of the. What of the of the cult in which we live, or something yeah, like that. So cult, anyway, that's the, what I was. That's right. The culture. You know, put that with culture being a word that has cult in it, and, and it all really comes together. It blows me away that the German philosophers who coined that term didn't normally just think of it as being the devil. <laughs> like they, they meant it as like a, a, a empirical with an E, um, a material term, <clears throat> which I find really, really disturbing. Right. It's like, it's the, the lunacy to not see that they're studying the devil and talking about him. Um, there is a, <laughs> it's awesome. There is a, uh, uh, an old raw, I think it was two episodes, uh, called AD. You're gonna make me go look for him now. Um, AD and they were based upon a book I started reading and the idea of calling it time ghost came out of that. So those first two episodes are all about this idea, um, of the what time. What was the ghost. book again? Sorry. Um, I don't I'm know the book. To fix my audio cause we're getting complaints there. So, Oh, you're well, um, does it matter? So, well, you, if you go back to, this is why it's a problem. It is an episode of raw called AD in which there will be reference to the book. I don't remember what the book is. Um, but out of that raw concept or that, that AD concept, I wanted to do a whole show that was dealing with history from the point of view of the time ghost. Um, and seeing that we're fighting against something that is intelligent, if not creative, as we talked about that earlier in the show too, you know, the devil's not creative, but there is an intelligence there. Um, and, and, and tying it to that word cult again, um, more recently, I guess, uh, it's, it's given a th- uh, way to the thought that everything's worship, that the more I can, see the things happening in my civilization around me as forms of pagan worship, the more they make sense. And uh, this goes especially for the federal government at the moment and its attempt to pretend to be a different reality than the one that really exists on like all whole host of levels. Um, But even on like uh, on much smaller levels uh, and then remembering that Christians are free to kind of walk in and out of pagan temples and buy the food. Like that's not the problem, right? We can do that. Uh, The problem is when we decide that we're, we're part of the pagan temples and we, I think we're at a crisis in culture where we're, we're recognizing, yeah, we can't just walk in and out of a lot of these places anymore. And they might even stop us in a few of them. You know, if you haven't taken the right cleanliness rituals, <laughs> it's about cleanness. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so, okay. So, so let me think about this a little bit. This is helpful. So, I mean, because one of, you know, one of your gifts, I, I don't know if you, so one of your spiritual gifts is to, um, to be able to see things from the, that spiritual angle that's able to give things, give what we normally call or what we normally consider to be pure material realities, to give them spiritual realities. And so to say that there's a, like the old, you know, we laugh at the old Greeks for, for giving, putting a God behind everything. Right. Mm, yeah. But that's, but that was, there was some wisdom there when they said that there's a, there's a God called Kronos. There's a, there's a God of the sea. There's a God of these trees, you know, there, there. And we, so we recognize them as demons, but that reality stands that, that there's a spiritual reality behind these things. And when we do not treat these institutions as spiritual realities, then, um, then we're not, then we're missing something. Well, I, I mean, there's a, there's a handful of things that are happening, but one is that we just lower our defenses, right? That we think we're just, you know, we think we're just cutting out a tree, or we think we're just paying our taxes, or we're just watching a TV show, and we don't recognize that we're that we're engaged in every place in spiritual warfare. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and the TV um, maybe the most uh, publicly evident thing, I would say, if there is a religion of no religion, that's a worldwide religion, its worship is to stare at a talking picture and uh, to believe that looking into that box enhances your actual life. As opposed to what tends to happen is it, you forget your actual life, you miss it. You actually just miss it. It goes by and you're staring at some other life. So there's something really powerful there, but the, the things you mentioned before that are, I think, more subtle. So cutting down a tree, uh, you mentioned. Um, and why would that be why would that be a spiritual warfare? No, I have I have reasons in my head why I can answer, but I'm curious what yours are first. I don't know what they are. I'm just thinking about it now because and also that's what J.R. Tolkien told me. <laughs> well, I mean he, he loved them ants for a reason. And their their home humming patience and long game, uh, I think is is a big part of it. Um so I mean just I, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was out at a cemetery yesterday for a funeral for a committal service and it was the new Sweden um, the New Sweden Cemetery on top of the hill outside of New Sweden, Texas. And you could see from the top of the cemetery hill to the New Sweden Church, which is on top of the other hill. And the family that I was with was talking about the cemetery, that the specificity of that place, how it's always windy, how you have the view from, if you look this way, you can see 20 miles. If you look that way, you can see 30 miles. That there was a there was a real profound sense of the specificity of that place, mm-hmm. of that place. And it's not that old. I mean, maybe the new Sweden cemetery is from uh, 1860, you know, so it's a, it's 160 years old for us. Not that, uh, but there was a, there's a specificity in all of these things. Um, and we just, I think we're moving too fast to, to catch it. Uh, uh, yep. There was the we were talking about where to build a tent for our church picnics, and we were talking about these two trees that are in the backyard of the church. You know, there's a specificity to this place that's marked by these things, and I don't know. I think we're just what what the world wants us to move too fast is to you can't appreciate how nice a particular tree looks or a, a, that rock that the Lord put there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks. yeah, yeah. You sound like a nut, but I'm completely with you. That. <clears throat> Why would the tree in my yard be important to me and not to you is sort of what you're getting at. And so there's a seventh commandment thing at work where it's own property. There's, there's something with Adam being land and that our dust is tied to the creation around us. So when I take interest in the land, um, it's not just physical. It can't be. I'm not saying that the trees are spirit antenna for prayer, but the kind of are actually when you like are out there and they're part of your life. And I was talking about the angels behind it all. You know, it's, it's this glorious thing. I get a lot of it from Tolkien and I talking from Lewis in my own mind. So that hideous strength and Paralandra are, are ways I try to envision this a little, but again, now stepping, stepping back toward how is it worship? So I'm cutting down a tree. It could be worship in the sense of, um, uh, understanding my vocation, my place in provision. And uh, it could be worship in the sense of caring for the earth means using renewable resources and trees are definitely renewable resources. It could mean also, if you ever you know, read the book, The Giving Tree, uh, the fact that I care from the, of that tree for from the point that it was a seed to the point it's now going to be the timber that I'm going to sell or the boat that I'm going to make or the beam in my house. And uh, its life is now a reflection of and part of supporting my life just as the cross 
held up our Lord. So there's, there's so many ways trees specifically can tie into uh, Christian vocation as reminders of uh, the tree on which the Lord overcame our death. Um, yeah. There's that. Um, I think there's maybe something more to it too, though. When uh, last, last uh, fall and winter I did, I spent a lot of time just like looking at my yard and just thinking about it. Like what's it for? Yeah. What's it there for? And it kind of came to me that trees known for being wickedly used as the high places of idol worship in the Old Testament, had that happen for a very good reason. Trees gather stuff. That's what they do is they gather stuff. They're they're public gathering things. They gather insects, they gather birds, they gather um, water from the ground, they gather uh, carbon dioxide from the air, um, and they gather people. People gather around trees. If you go to a park and there's a tree you're likely to sit under the tree. I mean, it's, it's just kind of what happens. We gather around trees. And so to see that the tree is a tool of creation, nature, built into nature for us to use to gather nature around it, you can do that on purpose. And that's what you're talking about yeah. at your church now. you got two of them. Now, how, do you, how do you intentionally do this? Or do you cut the two down and take the time to grow a grove that's even more intentional to the actual space, right? Um, because a lot of times trees are just where they got put to. Right? It's not, you know, to be a tree herder and... By the way, you know my maiden, my mother's maiden name is Baumgarten too. It's tree gardener of all things. The, um, huh. Yeah, uh, but but you know I've been thinking about that and I think there's something to it. So intentionality of space. Why don't we talk about trees. Um, specificity of place again. You know you're you're in oh, yeah. there, right? Well, you know, so I've seen all these Bible studies about mountains in the Bible, but I've never seen the Bible study about trees in the Bible, and it would be very interesting. I mean, Abraham and the oaks of Mamre, and Andrew sitting under the fig tree, and. Cedars of How, Lebanon, man. He, Cedars of Lebanon. From the yeah, that's right. Uh, and from the Garden of Eden into the, I mean, when you when the Lord describes paradise, it's a river with trees on both sides. So that's kind of cool. But but I think the original where we got off onto the tree business was: do, do we think of the world as empty, or do we think of the world as full of fairies? This would be a GK. Yes, 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 yes. So and, you're, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, you maybe want to. And, the, and the danger is, I mean, there's a danger in in seeing the war, creation as a fairy tale. There's certainly a danger there, but there's a greater danger, I think in seeing the world as there's no, there's no life anywhere and as empty. And that's how the, I mean, that's one of the problems that evolution has is it empties us out. Uh, It empties the world out of, of there's no spirit and there's no spirits. And so, so anyway, the truth is in the middle somewhere, but, but that's not our temptation. I mean, except for the old pagans. And maybe this is why there's a rise in, in the old paganism. Uh, that because it's this overreaction to modernity, which just makes everything, which just kills, it um, just kills. So, so where there is life is going to be better. Like God doesn't bring like lots and lots of barrenness and death unless it's in wrath against right our, our evil condition. But what he desires for man is the quiet and peaceable life. Um, specificity of place. Then owning where you are is tied to another idea. Um, that is that, holiness or real goodness in the sense of God's ultimate righteousness uh, is about proximity. Uh, It's not about what you do. It's about where you are and where you are is going to change what you do and make you do things. So, so you're going to be righteous when you are in the holiness of Christ. Um, You're going to not kill your neighbor, right? Um, In paradise, it just won't happen. But in the present now, what that means is if you've got a church on a hill, you have holy land. Not because of the church, but because of the people who gather there every week. And insofar as they gather there to praise Christ every week, that land 
is proximate holiness. And it, I would suggest that it impacts your neighborhood far more than you can possibly imagine uh, in, in amazing ways. And that similarly, when you have an abortion clinic on the corner, I mean, you got demons everywhere. You got all sorts of bad stuff going on down that street. <laughs> there's, there's more going on than what you see. And um, just to be aware of that uh, and to recognize that the fairy tales we're telling ourselves as fairy tales blind us to the real magic of the present reality. They, they, now, they, they teach a, a magic that cannot be. And the present reality is far, far more cosmic horror, magical, real uh, than any of us want to admit, because we like believing we live safely in this, you know, box cut uh, prepackaged world. Uh, and it's you know, this, this last couple of years really knocking on the door. It's not going to be that way. Um, well, one more piece and then I'll throw it back at you. You know, we moved in this house on the lake last year and you know, we're near some farmland. And there's a bunch of, there's a problem with ladybugs in Northern Illinois, certain times of the year, no matter what you do. And they're really not nice to the ladybugs. They're the mean ones. They even bite. Uh, we had so many bite. We, bite. Yeah, yeah. They land on you. They're so hungry. They bite. That sounds like um, a Stephen King novel. Or they're, something. they're starving. We had, there was a day, there was, there were, there were thousands and thousands and thousands flying around my house. And then, I mean, they lived in our house all winter. Like we would find three or four crawling all winter long. And initially I was like, you know, despising this and really just, oh, these bugs are always here. These bugs, these bugs, smash the bug, kill the bug, get rid of the bug. And then this idea that like fairies exist and it's right there in my house, this little fairy um, crawling up my wall and I want to kill it. And then there was like this whole crisis. Like, why do I want to kill the fairy? That's kind of, that's kind of a, a, a natural sin thing, right? Like here I am, there's a fairy, I kill it. What am I, a troll? Um, you know, it's a bug. It's not a fairy. It has no supernatural powers. But from there, I, I jumped to um, the geese that I don't like on my lake. And for a while, every time I saw the geese, I remembered that there's also angels and that there's Christians here. And as many Christians as there are, there's that many angels. And so I just demand all the geese are the angels in the neighborhood, you know, watching over us. They're geese. But the angels are there too, right? So the thing is finding that, that story click that moves you from trying to hide in fantasies that are never going to be real to finding that middle ground of imagining what is real, uh, that it doesn't matter if you're a little off because you've got the full truth revealed in scripture anyway, right? And you're, you're standing on that. And uh, I think you're, you're, you're Tolkien. What about the trees? Um, that's what Tolkien and Lewis were doing, right? As they were, they were applying their Christianity to a present condition and really living with it. And the stories they told reflected it, not so much as treatises, but as kind of dreams, right? Dreams of their experience. Um, what value do dreams have? That's a good question. Ha, 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 yeah, uh, on a number of levels. Um, let's see here. Well, uh, so I want to yeah. let me. Can I push you a little bit further, please? So, um, so we have in this Bible, and this is dangerous territory. So we don't. Wanna, I don't think we want to stay here for too long. But we do have indications that that there's a specificity to the demons in in regard to location, or at least, at least in regard to authority. So yes. we have in Daniel, for example, the prince of Persia who's hindering the angel to deliver the message to Daniel, and so forth. So we have the space, we have the demons bound up to space. But the, but the particular thing that I was wondering about is the demons bound up to time. <laughs> so the time ghost, which is where this started, or the time demon. In other words, is it possible to think that there's particular, I mean, we, we know this, I think, already. There's particular idols connected to, to an age, a particular demon connected to an age. And, and it would be very interesting to explore how we can speak about that rightly not wrongly but right. like the nar you know this new apostolic reformation and talking about the seven hills and all this kind of stuff that's very there that's very very dangerous but i don't wonder if that is the the false doctrine that's coming into the into the vacuum you're right of the truth i think you're right i think you're very right i've been and i've been pressing on this for a year 
um, I think quietly knowing how dangerous it is and uh, praying for good words, right? Uh, Solomon talks about the words of the wise are like goads, like well-driven nails. And so uh, what are the good words for spiritual warfare in Babylonian 2020 plus? Uh, what, are, what are the good words for being uh, Anglo-Babylonians? Uh, how do we uh, talk about the proximity of evil personified as a reality that we're at warfare against, recognizing that the greatest warfare we have is the prayers we pray in our holy sites. And then uh, knowing that studying the scriptures in those places, our mouths will be opened according to the Spirit's will to confront the darkness where we find it. And so the real focal point is not to go find those hills, those whatever, those dark hills and march around them, so much as to be on your holy hill in the word, knowing certainly that the Spirit will cause you to speak when utterance is needed, if you're in the word. Um, but it, it, it is not, I think, wrong or unbiblical to have categories for evil <laughs> and, and to see that they're there. Um, uh, I think the place where I'm leaning hardest right now, although I haven't studied this enough, um, but Proverbs, the categories of fool, the type of evil person in, in that, that summarizes or becomes a fool. So the scoffer, uh, the wicked man, I think there's a lot in those Hebrew terms and Solomon's definition of them over Proverbs that can show us certain types of spirit that uh, are at work behind men. Um, I also think it's helpful to, to think about demons less as like an individual demon to um, inhabit you, although certainly the legion can do that from time to time, but more to think about it as like, you ever hear someone say like, oh, I'm sorry, that was just the ghost of my father. And they say something like that, right? I think it's helpful to think of evil spirits as being a lot more like that. Bad ideas, bad ideas, uh, bad habits, bad words. It's not the only way the spiritual warfare happens, but I think that it's a big part of how it's happening now. And that's why the television again becomes such a huge part of it because the television forms how you think. It tells you how to think. You can say you're going to decide how you think later. It doesn't matter. You're being formed in your thinking. Um, and for that way, you're being flooded with spirituality, whether you like it or not. Um, at a cost to your human spirit, by the way, you're being drained in energy while you do it. Uh, but, you know, pushing back on the, the categories thing, um, I don't know where to begin directly um, in the sense of like, part of me thinks the answer is that, uh, Kronos, the old Greek idea is sort of where we got to start. And then we got to realize everyone's sort of living in the Kronos world, but Zeus is out there somewhere. If we can just find him, it's probably, you know, the United States of America as a religion, <laughs> uh, something like that. And then you have uh, all these other things that they would call gods, gods of medicine and gods of food and all this. And well, that's what we have too, right? So when you go to Panda Express, you're, you're going to the orange chicken God, you know, and, and you're getting your food. I, I you know, um, <laughs> orange chicken God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, go, it goes too far really fast though. And you, and you gotta be careful with it. I mean, you end up with the Hindu thing where like everything's a God everywhere. And in a sense, they're right, but then that doesn't help us. We don't need all those categories, right? As Christians, we don't need to study that kind of thing. It's far more helpful to think about things like the seven deadly sins, um, yeah, you know, uh, right. which again are, are a type of spirit that would inhabit your person, um, not to possess you as like it's a person, but that you are self-possessed by this, this, uh, this wicked idea. With all that said, part of me is like, okay, that's completely wrong. And the answer is to realize that everyone's worshiping Baal, and just start calling it that wherever we see it. <laughs> like, oh, you're a Baal worshiper. Cool. I go to church. And he's like, no, no, I, I worship, you know, the God of pleasantness and flowers. Yeah, Baal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just, just to insist that everyone's worshiping Baal. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? So, okay, so there's like four things there that I, that, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So, hmm, 
So, I mean, to start with the Kronos thing, and to think about this, I mean, so, I can't remember what I was reading. I was reading something, and it was talking about how how recent an invention letter grades are. Like, maybe 150 years ago, there was no A, B, C, D. There was no pass-fail Oh, right, 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 right. And, and how, I mean, maybe 200 years ago, there was barely a clock. You know, there, there was one, every, the, the town had a clock tower. Nobody else knew what time it was. So for the for the majority of our human existence, we we haven't had these things. I mean, the letter grades wasn't us. I was thinking, how do you do? How did you do school before that? I mean, Luther wouldn't have ever had like a B in Greek or anything. They're just that didn't even exist. But with the clock thing, so this is a Chronos. How recent an invention the clock is. Yeah. And. So we haven't come to grips with it. And I think, well, no wonder we have so much trouble with Twitter. We don't even know how to manage the clock. Correct. I mean, we just, we have not, we have not come to grips with this, with the, 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 the power that this technology has. We, we are 200 and, and it keeps getting, it keeps getting more and more difficult. So there's, it's no wonder we're disoriented. I mean, we're, we're still, we're still trying to figure out so, so how electricity changes our correct. life. Correct. We don't know. We, we refuse to believe it might actually be evil. What if it is? No one's asked the question. We just use it. Dude, what? Can uh, I tell you the story about on, when what? I was in Fiji? You, uh, and, Fiji. I'll write down Fiji and come back. I want to talk about okay. the, the God Vulcan um, because, okay, so last year when I was really pushing on, you know, maybe Kronos is the problem. Um, one thing I did realize is that Kronos is just trapped, right? Kronos isn't doing anything. He just moves. But Vulcan did something in our age that he hadn't done among the Greeks. And now Vulcan's the Latin name, and I can't think of his Greek name for some reason. He's like Tavister the Artificer in, in some other religion. All the religions, they, you know, they, they have the same guys. This guy's not a, a big main god. Um, this guy is uh, the, the, uh, the smithy. Uh, this is the guy who takes the metal and makes the machines. He's actually it's kind Festus? of, Wasn't it uh, yeah, it says Festus. Festus. It says Festus. And he's got like, he's not good looking. He limps. Like he's got all these problems. But what happened in our age is he figured out how to take over. Festus figured it out. And he just did something that we weren't ready for. Cause nor in, in, in the ancient Greek world, he can't do what he's doing now. And now he is techne would be another way to say it. Techne is just on rampage right now. And as you pointed out, we don't know how to use it because we haven't, bothered to ask what it's good for. We just took it and did whatever everyone else was doing. So let me suggest one other thing to you. And I'm not going to make the case that electricity is sin. I do not think it is, but I do believe there's a natural law involved, which is uh, I call inequivalent exchange, which is to say that whenever you do something with techne, with electrical power that makes life easier, whenever you profit by burning stuff for power, let's put it that way, there will be an inequivalent exchange that comes back on your dissatisfaction with the results. And it will be scaling so that the easier it becomes, the less you actually have to do, the less satisfied you will be with the work. And that therefore, the more electricity you put in your life, the less satisfied you tend to be with your life. Now, this is again, a hypothesis for exploring more than a dogma that I am stating. But I think that again, apply this to your work on say, uh, letter writing. Uh, Think about, I write a letter to my wife. That letter is a positive sum reality. It gives me energy when I write it on paper. Um, I feel it. There's a power there. I feel like I've accomplished it. I can set it. I got to move it around. She gets it. It gives her something. She can save it. It comes back. It does more. It has a positive spiritual reality. If I send an email to my wife, I lose energy while I am typing. I have to you know, engage the world of the blue light, you know, main brain mash. 
I send it away. I'm tired. She gets it. She has to open her email to get what I want to talk to her about. That makes her tired. And then where's it go? Archive. She's never seen it again. So it's been easier. It's been faster. It's way better, except that there's a completely inequivalent exchange. And what happens is a loss of spirit. What happens is a loss of willpower, energy, however you want to call it. And I, I, Vulcan, again, <laughs> uh, Techne is a big part of this. I'm not saying electricity is evil. Um, although I have wondered, we got like, we're living in boxes that like run these like currents of waving power around us all the time. And then there's this thing called cancer. And we're like, oh, it can't be that. It can't be the electricity. No, it can't be that. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I've watched a movie called Off the Grid. I know I don't want to live off the grid. I'll tell you that. Man, alive. Don't do that. What do you think? Oh, and I lost you right now. Oh, no, right at the end. Oh, Brian. There you go. Come back. Come back. I. You, you got me? There you are. You're back. Come back. You're good. Talk. Okay. Do you know the temple to Hephaestus is the is the only one that's still standing in Athens? That's amazing. <laughs> I do know that in the fact that I've been there, the, but I've forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's the here's the um, Fiji story. I was in oh, Fiji. Yeah. I was 19 years old. I was living in this village that didn't have any running water or electricity. And we would, you know, sit around every night. We were building a kindergarten. And um, I would sit around at night with all the elders, and we'd drink kava and play cards. Hmm. They had this kind of euchre game. And uh, and we were just kind of sitting there looking at the stars one night, and two of the elders were started to, like, get in a fight with each other. And in Fijian, they were yelling at each other. And I leaned over to the guy next to me, and I said, uh, what, are they, what are they fighting about? And... They were fighting about if they should get electricity or not. Hmm. So the the country, Fiji had offered to build elect, electrical lines to the village, and there was a big fight about if they should get it or not. Hmm. And I thought that the only reason they didn't have electricity was because they couldn't get electricity. Right, it right. never had ever occurred to me that someone was sitting there saying, "What happens when we get electricity? What happens to our village? What happens to our way of life? What happens to our name and our family and everything? What happens to our yeah." Oh, and it changes and, and, and it goes away for sure. Yeah. And so they were, they were, um, they were sitting there having this conversation, which is a conversation that I didn't even realize should exist. Hmm. It's an amazing thing to me. So this all the way through now. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, Neil Postman writes about this, like in Technopoly, and he talks about the fight that what'll happen when when writing comes and all this sort of stuff. Now we know that the Lord wants us to have something, but okay, so. So there's a big question, and but then I've got a whole other side of me that says, "So what?" Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure. like we're vapor. We, 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 our lives pass away like a mist. And I mean, I, I, I've been fighting this sort of what I think might be a sanctified despair. <laughs> if it's true that I'm a pilgrim in this life, if it's true, then then someone wants to give me a vaccine that's gonna kill me or whatever well so what yeah <laughs> or you know someone wants to coerce me to the slavery of whatever kind of well so what i mean our lives are missed and i'm, I'm going to live forever in the glory of jesus in the in the new heaven and the new earth and so maybe my you know so maybe the uh my cell phone is going to give me cancer well so i kind of i go back and forth between the like and 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 i'm starting to realize that there's a deep temptation that i think might be idolatry to have the story make sense like, hmm. I'm reading this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, hmm. by Carl Truman that everybody's talking about. He's got some nice stuff in there. He can't get all the way to the nugget because he's not a Lutheran. Man, we got to get our understanding of Gnosticism out there more. Oh, but man, right it's a, but it, 
it tells the story of how we got to where we are today, which is really appealing. Like, I want to know how Descartes led to the transgender movement. That's that's like, it, it, but then I I think is it I'm gonna make it make sense one way or another because we are what like meaning making machines or whatever uh, Jordan Peterson told us we are, but. Uh, is that idolatry as well? Like, is it not just enough to be where the Lord has put us and to, and to confess the creed and to forgive sins and to die in peace? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, except for that the part is that after you've been where you are and you've been forgiven, you look around and you need to plant and you need to get married and you need to build some houses and you need to care for the people in those houses. You need to have children and grandchildren in baptism. And so you have to at some point care about the the polis, about the city, about the people, about the public, right? And um, but I completely with you. Like, if you are trying to care about it from the perspective of we have to keep everybody else alive or else we've failed, we have to have perfect lives now or else it doesn't work. Like, it's just you, you, no. You're betting it all, the, the, expecting the only, it all to go away. It's all going to go away. Right. The only way the conspiracy theory gets a hold of you is if you don't want to die. Oh. Like the only I, there was a, you were talking you were you were wrestling with a mask question earlier. What mm. a huge pain! I mean, I'm very sympathetic to all the mask kind of fighting and everything, but at the, in the same time, like so what? So what? I mean, so so okay. Let's let's just pretend like the vaccine is a Bill Gates is putting a microchip in me so he can tell where I am. So what? I don't care. What if the what if Bill Gates has a microchip so that he can. He can kill me whenever he wants to. So what? I'm going to die anyway, and I belong to Jesus. Mm. So the only way that this worries me, I mean, not that we, again, I'm wrestling with this. The, the point is that when Hebrews 2 tells us that the fear of death is bondage to the devil, yeah. That, yeah. That, that there's a way that if we're afraid to die, then the devil can put us in, in bondage, that that fear is a shackle for us. And as soon as, as as soon as I'm not afraid to die, I think I can begin to look at the world with wisdom. But if I'm if I'm held by the fear of death for myself, or or even if I'm held by the fear of death for my children, Correct. which is even harder. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, take they are life, no big deal. Goods, no problem. Well, okay. Fame, fine. Mm, Child, for... whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Wife, hold on. That's when it gets tough. But if I'm not even afraid of that, if I know that death doesn't take my children from me. My death, their death, it doesn't take, the, it doesn't separate, we, 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 lo- we belong to Jesus. So if I'm not afraid of that, then now I'm free to begin to look at the world with wisdom. But but that's hard. I mean, that's the that's the martyr stuff that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Well, you're the one that put me onto that, though, uh, and you're the one with the book on it. I, in terms of, again, I, I'm, I'm fully with you on the fear cannot be our motivation. Uh, fear of man. Fear of God should be. So Joseph, you know, how could I do this evil thing? So when we tread on some of these conversations, like vaccines and the vaccine movement, it's belief in kind of eternal living by killing babies in a lot of corners. Um, Like that's one topic that has a a very clear, for me, um, edge that means it's not just sort of, oh, ho-hum, right? Uh, That Christians must engage this intellectually and carefully. Um, masks, same thing. It's like, so the argument is like, wear the mask for your neighbor because your neighbor feels better when you wear the mask. It's like, yeah, but then my neighbor might get sick and die because they're wearing the mask. Like this could actually cause health problems. So I like, 
you're right. I don't care if I die. And I guess I don't even care if they die because I know God's the author of death, but he didn't put me here to be an agnostic. He put me here to believe in a value of certain virtues and those virtues are right. for the good of the people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I, no, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and so, so for my part, I mean, I, I am going to act on those. Um, right. even though I'm going to, I want to end every day where you are today was enough. I'm ready to die. I don't care if it doesn't work out, but tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to put my hand at the task of what I find. I'm going to do it with all my might. No, vanity of vanity so, is a good place to be actually. So there's a, so there's a very different, no, I don't, I, you make me talk like a mystic. Fisk. I don't <laughs> Isn't that so funny? I, And I wrote the book against it, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> okay. So just, if people could hear this and then just purge off the mystical stuff yeah. somehow, but there's a different energy when I'm working to keep the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, than when I'm working to avoid death because I'm afraid. It might be the same actions. I might mm-hmm. be doing the same stuff. But there's a very different there's a very different energy to those different deeds. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's a different spirit at work in your heart. And mm-hmm. you know, and who are you possessed of at that moment, right? Uh, and you're always possessed of the Holy Spirit and you should be confident in that. But in a moment when your fleshly man is the one that's running the show, right? Is your feelings are 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 the wrong ones? Um, yeah, it's a different it's a different spirit. <laughs> uh, so we got to keep the fifth commandment, which means we have to treasure life, even our own life, but especially the life of our neighbor. That's the that's the command of God. I'm not saying that we just uh, there's a comment that this is a, a, a um, existentialism or a nihilism. We cannot be nihil. We have to recognize that every life is created by God, and to be honored in that way, it's also uh, every person, you know, as a brother of Jesus, is redeemed by Him. Every person will be raised on the last day. We cannot neglect life nor freedom, also, but especially Christian freedom. But, uh, but that is not the, the thing that motivates us. Is not fear of dying. That's very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, but again, the actions might look the same. So this the is new what, obedience I, is not about uh, getting as much out of this life while you can. That's not the new obedience. The new obedience is about you're stuck here and God's not going to let you die for a while. And so you can starve on the ground or you can work to feed people like yourself and try to live together in peace. Right. And and so, again, at a certain point when uh, the Philistine is at your gates with the sword saying, bow to me or I will slaughter your women like, ah, you know, you have to you have to put up some form of resistance. We're not I'm not advocating physical resistance right now. I am advocating developing mental resistance to the the zeitgeist, uh, to the, the uh, society around us. Um, and I think that means uh, questioning things like we've been doing a little bit here, uh, which means not being right for a while, uh, trying some things, hypothesizing some things. Uh, I can say with certainty, the more I have untethered from electricity, I still have electricity. I got outlets all around me. I listen to music every day. So it's not like I'm gone from it. Right. But I'm trying to have less electricity in my life and on my person. (laughs) Um, the more that I've done that, uh, the more freedom to contemplate both nature and scripture is just presented itself. Um, and the more the, my family is also just presented themselves as what life's about. And it's amazing how much of that's lost in just two hours a day of whatever you did online, whatever it was. Um, so to me, that that continues to be where the um, the energy points back. If we go that way. As for mysticism, like, look, dude, there's also this. Like, we are emotional beings. Nature is filled with stimuli. We have experiences. We can call them from God without saying they're soteriology or pneumatology in the in the church sense, right? I mean, the Father is at work through providence, and to pretend He's not is stupid. Just just it's the God of Job. I mean, 
So is Jesus at the same time. So that's good news too, right? Right. That's right. <laughs> and then we come back around to it and we say, well, the Lord Jesus in his wisdom wants us to have electricity and also live streaming on YouTube. At the Odd. moment. Odd. But, but right. So, well, how much of so this is like... we confess that too, that Jesus does sit at the, at the right hand of God and he does Ephesians 1, rule all things for the sake of his church, yeah. but... Yeah. How much, I mean, I wonder how much of it is, um, it's the context of the use. So like as a Christian, if I actually had a statue of a golden cow, with some exception, most Christians wouldn't say, oh, you worship Baal, right? But if I bow down to it and call it Baal, I'm, I'm worshiping Baal. So the electricity, to some extent, is a matter of the use. And I suggest and hypothesize the furthest extreme negative, which is that it's like the devil himself trying to destroy us so that I have a playground with which I can try to objectively figure out what's it actually good for without the assumptions right. of it's great no matter what you need it, which is what everyone right. else assumes no matter what. Right. 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 <laughs> so, right. Well, so, yeah. yeah. And it could be that the Lord Jesus lets it be there so that we could exercise wisdom in rejecting it. So just because yeah. the Lord, you know, gives yeah. it to us doesn't mean he wants us to take it and eat it. For example. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Where'd you get, that sounds like biblical or something, man. You, Wait you, are you a, you a pastor? Brian Wolfmiller is a pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. How's Austin doing? What's what's life like uh, in Austin? Texas is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, is um, can you tell me what are your state mask mandates? What are your city mask None. mandates? All lifted. All restrictions are lifted in Texas. Even, and even in gov- Austin, nothing can over. Well, so the mayor can make restrictions. But they cannot be enforceable because of the governor. And then what about, are there places like Walmart still requiring people to wear masks or the macro stores? Yep. Most places require masks still. Most, uh, so in and out, it's, it's less and less all the time now. That's good. So, That's um, good. Yeah. The soft power. It's now becoming optional. The soft power, uh, I, I think, is going to exercise itself through kind of elite institutions more than through a, a mass control because they can't do it, but... That's good to hear. Uh, we're not quite there yet in Illinois, but uh, we can hope. We can hope. Anything else? You want to talk about anything else? I mean, I, we got I, I, I had a question. It was a, I was going to ask you, and I forgot. Destin's story, so what, Kronos? I can't remember. It's gone. That's all right. God be praised. It must be the Lord's will. That's right. Oh, man. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess. I'm tired because I just did two and a half hours. So um, I'm gonna. Go I was ahead. hoping you would go long so I could I could do my mileage. I have to do my mileage report for while listening. And uh, well, go get yourself listening. go get yourself the most recent brief history of power with Koontz because we do talk about vaccines and uh, and soft power. I gotta and... pay attention to what Koontz is talking. About. I know, I know, he's, he's good. <laughs> he's good stuff, right? For sure. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I, yep. I, Brian Wolfmuller is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church, Austin, Texas, and I believe you can find him at the Worldwide Wolfmuller still, as well as sure. Table Talk Radio. He's on issues, etc. Just look for his name. You'll find him. Thanks, Brian. You have a great day. Um, and everybody else that has tuned in, if you can support me on Patreon, please do. Two to five dollars a month or whatever you throw at me uh, helps keep all of this going. And as I said at the start of the show, the past weekend has led to some opening of a door or three that uh, maybe can uh, be announced more or in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. Um, but uh, why are we here? What is Mad Christianity about? I believe firmly, as Brian was just talking about, we're at the shift of, a, of an age. 
the proximity of evil is real and the proximity of good is real. And we're at a time where if you put your feet in the ground and stand where you are believing in the Lord of Providence who's redeemed you, Jesus Christ, he has an adventure life planned for you, which involves either your martyrdom or your living with your children through a really crazy set of times in peace and quietness around a, an altar and, and then a hearth, right? And, and so to believing that that is in fact possible and this is the best time in the world to want that. You, know, you have Minecraft at your fingertips to live a life of production, a family economy, if only together you can see it and walk toward it. Um, uh, well, that's why we're here. Uh, and then also uh, to remember that none of that matters if you do not have the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And it's because you know Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and this has changed reality that you would want to take a stand where you are. You would want to not assume that everything else the world says and believes is good, especially when it shows itself not to be. And since you've been inspired to be set free from the chains which bound you, why not lift up your voice and encourage those who still walk in darkness to, to lift up their heads and see the light, especially as you see that day approaching. Yeah, don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Uh, rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>